This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered and boy, are we going to help you today. We got a really interesting interview coming up. Uh, with a guy that's going to find 70 million jobs. Well, don't oversell it. No. You talked about this yesterday. Know, you gotta, you got to undersell and overperform, over, or but, is it vice versa? Yeah, undercommit, overdeliver there you go. is usually the goal, except this is the real deal. 70 million jobs. But it may wow. not. one of the jobs may not be for you. Because there are jobs for a very special, you know, select group of people. Well, I'll, I'll tell you which job is not for me is that guy that goes into the sewer. Yeah. You don't like the sewer guy. No. But no, I, mean, I, I have nothing against him. I don't no. like the job. Yeah, I just think his job stinks. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but seriously, folks. Um, no, we, this guy that we're going to be interviewing, his name is Richard Bronson. He's the CEO of an organization talking about uh, how we can get uh, people with past felonies that are out of prison jobs. Mm. Because if we don't get them employed – the recidivism rate goes up incredibly, and then everybody pays for him anyway. It's true. So you may as well figure out a way to get him employed, and he's got a wonderful story of his own and is doing what he can. And to me, that is, that is the real kind of goal of the show is to find a way to become the change. Instead of waiting for the government to step in and fix something, let's just become the change. How do you take away that prejudice, though? No, like, I, let's that's say- hard. There are certain jobs that you probably wouldn't want that person to have. Like if they were a child molester, you probably right. wouldn't want them anywhere near right. kids. No, right. You exactly. Know? Exactly. But it would, at what point do you let forgiveness take over? Well, and, and you, but maybe what you do is you, uh, you trust and you verify. So you have to, to some point, extend trust, an opportunity, and then you keep verifying it's safe and secure. Is trust it all right? Is it all right if that type of person always has a supervisor around them maybe yeah but then then at what point is it okay at then at what point are we all done yeah and, uh, so the, there is a system and a time where they've paid their dues they've made a mistake and we need to we need to let it happen but and it's hard because again it's not tough. not to beat a dead horse but uh and that's really that actually sounded like a live horse. We're doing that now. <laughs> that was a live horse. <laughs> well, in this same respect, um, we were, I was talking with Jeff about this yesterday yeah. as we were preparing for this interview. Um, this is the idea that you get out of jail, you've made a huge mistake. Yeah. Right? There's huge roadblocks right. in front I mean, of you. And this is a felony. You were in prison. You, getting a job is really, really tough, and especially a job where you can live on the money that you make. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can find a fast food thing probably or some, a, a lower-paying job, but you can't get a career-type thing. No. Someone has to give you a, a huge break mm-hmm. and a huge chance. And you could do, the, the as you said, the, the trust but verify. Yeah. Um, other, other issues surrounding this is like voting. Oh, yeah. Right. A lot of people get out of jail. You're a felon. You can't vote for the rest of your life. Sorry. Virginia. Right. In 2016, restored the voting rights for felons. 13,000 people were able to vote in that election last oh, week. Oh, great. Yeah, there you go. That's what happened. That's what happened. But that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's a whole different – that's a whole discussion on do you lose your entire rights as a, as a mm-hmm. citizen of the country after you've paid your debt? 
Right. Right. Supposedly right. you paid a debt. Yeah. At what point? Maybe you have a process where you restore those rights again. But just saying no for the rest of your life doesn't make sense. Either. Oh no. And so, so then all of a sudden you, you're you don't vote, so you're disenfranchised. So why do you care about law? Right. And you can't make a dollar, so you have to steal a dollar. I mean, you don't have skills, you don't have education. So maybe the real solution eventually is let's let's when they're in prison, let's do more to actually make them employable. Let's give them actual skills that could get you a job and then let's have a plan and a program where people are hiring felons. So instead of prison being a place where we just hold somebody, mm-hmm. maybe you try to fix whatever the the problem is. You yeah. rehabilitate Wouldn't as people that... talk about. Weird. Yeah, I know. Crazy. That's a huh? weird idea. Um, but th- th- because this also gets into another discussion about it's a similar discussion, not, not because of felons or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But what's going on with Alabama potential senator, uh, running senator, uh, what's his name, Roy Moore? Yes. Two more women came out uh-huh. as I th- saying I th- I th- we might be up to eight at this point. So we're up to eight. It's Ooh. getting into that soul, that that kind of Tiger Woods feeling when his situations yeah. happen because yeah. it happened just like there was all of a sudden mm-hmm. it went from one to thirty. You're like whoa, and then thirty to four hundred. Are they women or still no. minors? No, no, they were minors. Now they're women. Okay, adult women. That's sixty okay. year old. Yeah, th- women. This all happened in the seventies and eighties. But here's the deal: uh, when you know. When is truth truth? Mm. And when is this actually a legitimate problem? But it was a legitimate problem with one. It's a legitimate problem with eight. But now they're actually starting to push back and and, um, create doubts and cast aspersions against one of the the victims that was a victim at, what, 16, Mm -hmm. was sexually abused. And now it's, it's getting ugly. Now they want to pull the yearbook that yeah, allegedly he yearbook. signed. We want to check the check against current handwriting samples mm-hmm. and see the forgery. Yeah. And oh boy, yeah. And we'll we would love to give you the yearbook. Let's just do this all under oath, right? So let's yeah, yeah, have yeah. you testify under oath. That's the about these eight women, and then well, we got an election to run. Yep. So, <sighs> and then at that time, you got you got Mitch McConnell in the Senate trying to figure out. There's like three or four different options. They could, they're, mm. they're talking about the guy that's holding that seat now, Luther, Luther Strange, yeah. resigning. That would that would yeah. trigger a special election, and this whole thing would be wiped away, and have they'd have to, to start over. Start over. Do Just over. to be clear, this is different from the Doctor Strange. Doctor right? Strange, okay. love, but many say it was similar. Yeah, but different people is what they're saying. So that's going on. That's chaos. President Trump, by the way. Thirsty, dehydrated, very thirsty from the big. (laughs) Do you see Marco Rubio? Yeah. On Twitter, he critiqued his style and his technique of taking a drink while in front of a camera, and he Mm -hmm. said, "Eh, "He's got to work on that." Well, you don't want to take a drink from a fountain over there. No, you want the bottled water wherever you can get it. Apparently, it was to the left of the. But this is this is a good lesson. I think it's a really good lesson for everyone. Okay. Um, Because President Trump made fun of Rubio. He did thirsty Marco. Horribly, yes. Like shamed him, Constantly. embarrassed him. Except they're flipping a bottle of water, water all over. Yeah, yeah. And now, then President Trump has a weird breakdown where he has a two-handed bottle drink. Yeah, that was weird. It was totally weird. It's like he couldn't get a bottle, the bottle open. He didn't yeah. know where the bottle was. Then he had to two-hand it, double-fisted there was drink. Some balance issues. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, yeah. But and it didn't look good. No. And then everybody started beating him up for it. <laughs> so. If he had never shined a highlight on Rubio and his 
drinking problem. Right. His water drinking problem. He was thirsty. Do you think it would have been as big of a deal about his thirst problem? No, it would have been weird just because it was awkward, but it would have kind of died there. But maybe because, I mean, he's... He also maybe wouldn't have been president if he hadn't made fun of Rubio. Probably. (laughs) (sighs) So I guess making fun of people works. And then, of course, that was in the (laughs) middle of his big speech he gave after his Asia trip, which turned out just to be kind of like your friend who... Talked about a trip and then wanted to show you the the slides. Yeah, for like two and a half hours. He's got the slideshow because there was no news that came out of it. He's just like, this is a street vendor. This was great. In Shanghai we, Peninsula. This is just, us in line at the bathroom. <laughs> people were very confused about that whole day with him. This is inside the bathroom. Look at that bathroom. Have There's not even s- a seat. <laughs> he, it's, like, it's like he doesn't know the cameras followed him all across Asia for a week. So, Oh, oh fun. Okay, it's a, it's a fun day, folks. A lot to learn today. Let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what else should we be focused on? Uh, back to Roy Moore from the Alabama GOP nominee. He has written an open letter to Fox News host Sean Hannity a day after the conservative media powerhouse gave Moore 24 hours to explain inconsistencies in his denial of multiple allegations of uh, sexual misconduct. He goes, I adamantly deny the allegations of Lee Korfman and Beverly Nelson and did not date underage girls and have taken steps to begin a civil action for defamation. Moore wrote in the letter, because of that, the direction of counsel, I cannot comment further. This is great. Okay, she's clarifying. So he did not, he's saying, date underage girls. Right. He adamantly denies it. It depends on what your version of underage is, though. Well, well, wouldn't the age be 18? Depends on what the state is. Could have been 16 back then, I'm not sure. Idaho, you can drive at 14, right? Right. Hold on, so you can be... Attacked by a DA at 14 or yeah. 16, but you can't vote or drink right. or buy cigarettes. Possibly. Oh, that makes sense. So, uh, this says six women. This story was old because it was, I picked it up last night. It's actually eight women now. Yeah. Uh, have well, come he, did, forward. he didn't want to like project forward. Right. He just had to give the number. So Moore's denying all this. Uh, last night, Hannity, yeah. he teased saying he'll have 24 hours. He spent the entire show talking about Bill Clinton and all his... Oh, stuff yeah. from what twenty years ago? I think mm-hmm. it was in junior yeah. high, high school, and all that. Yeah, went, and we spent seventy million dollars trying right. what, that what as about, a government. Yeah. And what about so him? A lot of what about it? And by the way, happening. let's be very clear. Uh, whatever Bill Clinton did was horrible, right? And whatever Roy Moore did was horrible, absolutely. But they're not not the same. They're not they're not dependent upon each other. They're different cases. I mean, so, I, I assume. Hannity teased a decision, but at the end of his show, he said it was up to the people of Alabama and should not be decided by national Republicans. Yeah. So a CNN reporter uh, compared Hannity to a dad who counts to three and then does nothing. (laughs) I'm going to count to three. All right, go ahead. Do what you want. Oh, I hate it when I've done that. (laughs) I do. Also, this is funny. Roy Moore tweeted out yesterday in response to Mitch McConnell saying he, like, uh, you know, wants more to step out of the race. And we'll, we'll try to work some processes to see if we can do that. And yeah. Roy Moore tweeted out, bring, period, it, period, on, period. Whoa. Right? Bring it on. By so the way, then, wasn't he, was he invoking something? Chris Hansen, executive director of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, replied that bring it on is a movie about high school cheerleaders. So yeah. that may not be Ooh. the best option not, there for not, you. Not a great theme to go with. <laughs> hey, by the way, I don't even get to three most of the time. I just say one, two. Oh, it's not even that big of a deal. And then your kids. Oh, I thought your kids. See, when I get to two, my kids are gone. <laughs> so uh, the House this, today will vote on their tax package. 
No, oh, the House. Right? The yeah. House. Okay. They feel like they have the 217 yeah. votes. The thing, a uh, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin said Wednesday that he will not vote for the Senate GOP tax plan because it unfairly benefits corporations over other types of businesses. Yeah. So in the Senate, it may be not as sure. And they, they only have a two-vote margin. Right. So they've got to get the Senate version. Then they've got to get, if I remember, it's a House the version. Saturday bill yeah. cartoon. Right. Uh, then it's you got to get the Senate and the Congress and the. Are you talking about Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah, Schoolhouse okay. Rock. Then you get the two bills. Then they got to get together in committee. Yes. And make a new bill. Kind of iron it out. Get the differences ironed mm-hmm. out, and that's your bill. And then they sing then a they, song. Then they have to vote about it, and then the bill walks up and down the steps. Up yeah. and down yeah. Capitol Hill. Oh yeah. So it's a long way off, but uh, the Republican House, as we remember, they celebrated with the health care plan. We passed a bill, and they go to the White House, and we're like, yeah, it's over. And then it fell apart miserably. So we'll see what happens. Scientists say they have finally been able to detect evidence of the uh, degenerative brain disease CTE in a living patient. Huge. You were asking about this yesterday, a couple days ago. A new study undertaken by lead author and pathologist Bennett Amalu suggests that experts can diagnose the disease while a patient is still alive by detecting a presence. Um, uh, and deposits of a tau protein. So it's a type of protein yeah. that's in your brain. Instead of requiring an autopsy for formal diagnosis, Amalu uh, told CNN that the unnamed player in the study is actually Fred McNeil, who played for the NFL's uh, Minnesota Vikings and died in 2015. Amalu, whose work is uh, the what the 2015 movie Concussion was based on. Oh, really? He's that guy. Said he initially diagnosed McNeil in 2012 using a brain scan that traced this protein uh, and they later confirmed the, di- the diagnosis with an autopsy. So he, he found the protein. He goes, this may be an indicator. And then he died, and they did the, the autopsy, and sure enough, he had CTE. So wow. they're thinking now they can This is great news. Maybe they do that with out. everyone. Or like, Yeah, they, they, they make it a better test. Wow, that's so, good news. And there was a Leonardo da Vinci painting that sold for $450 million at auction. By the what? way, not any, and it wasn't a nude. No. It was Jesus, Savior of the world. Is oh what it's wow! It's a pretty, it's a beautiful painting, and four hundred and fifty million, half yeah. a billion dollar picture painting. <laughs> Man, so there you go. Yeah, you know what, folks? Keep your paintings, whatever they are. All your kids' paintings, and even just the ones that you have in your closet. You never right. know. We had a painting that was a painting of Madonna, not the dancer, hmm. mother of yeah. Jesus. Gotcha. Beautiful. Uh, in fact, I wonder where that went. My sisters probably took it because they seem to get everything. And then they went on vacation. It was crazy. It is so weird. Yeah. yeah. Now they just seem to be living the life. There it is. Of luxury. Beautiful. Jeffrey. Four hundred fifty. He put it up on a. He put it up on our screen, so it's as if we own it. Yeah, and we it's, didn't have to spend a dime on it. Yeah, Not just even. Copy paste. Done. Not we even. Have, a we dime. have art. <laughs> My wife always wants to buy art, and I'm like, well. What kind of art? She goes, I don't know. So we go look at art. Yeah. Do you like that? I'm going, I don't know. That's the hard part is. Do I want that hanging on my wall? Mm. I don't, really I wouldn't, I don't know what to buy except, well, I know what I would buy, but I'm biased. Right. You guys heard of Bob Ross? Oh, yeah. I'd buy all of Bob's stuff. That the, guy, he's, he's what I call the, peace, the peacemaker. By the way, I know you're a Deadpool fan. Yeah. The oh, new yeah. promo. Yeah. I didn't watch the the video, but the new promo features Ryan Reynolds in a Bob Ross wig and shirt, <laughs> painting like kind of like a Norman Rockwell esque uh, painting of really? him and all the other characters at a Thanksgiving dinner table. 
Really? Yeah. It looks pretty funny. Bob Ross, uh, have you guys watched his paintings lately? It was on like PBS when I was a kid, and yeah. I just changed the channel because it was some dude painting. No, but what about now? No. You he has try that it. soothing voice that can that can really help you snooze. I've got other stuff yeah. to watch. Stuff yeah. that's not some dude standing there painting. I don't understand there are this no mistakes. attraction people have to this. It's just a, happy accidents. Yeah, well. This is... There we go. Did you hear there's a new Pope mobile, by the way? Well, there there's a Lamborghini that yeah. he signed. Do you know how they, good he's going to look in that Lamborghini? Well, it's not, they signed it and it's off to auction. It's not his. Do you remember when the Pope pulled up in the little Pope uh, Fiat? Yeah. Which I thought was so symbolic and cool. Okay. Like, wasn't it like a white car? Of course. A little white Fiat. <laughs> and he's he going to roll back up in seat. like a blue car, red car? No. Well, but he's in the little back seat of right. just a tiny little Fiat sure. driving around New York with a bunch of black Suburbans protecting him and everything. But how much cooler to pull up in a, bla- a white Lambo? Well, he won't. I mean, I think that's fantastic. I didn't even know he liked sports it's cars. It's not his. And nothing cooler than a fast Pope. That's not, they're just going to auction it so they can you know, feed little kids that are He ought to be careful, though, because the robes, when you're trying to do that right. clutch. Oh, and, and his hat. What is his hat well, called? sunroof. Yeah. yeah, the sunroof. And, you put you know, your hat through the, the wind. You got to make sure it doesn't. Well, he's got people to hold it on. True. Is there a back seat to a Lambo? No. So he'll have to sit in the front seat. It's not your family automobile. No, it's not. No. But he's a cool pope. Honestly, mm-hmm. he's, he honestly, because he is he, from Argentina. I lived in Argentina. Okay. I've walked the streets he's walked. He's amazing. And now he's got a Lambo. No, he doesn't. So basically what you're saying is you've got a Lambo. He stood in front I of it feel- for like five minutes and then they took it away. Yeah, you bring in all these details no. that I think are not <laughs> so, as relevant. They're facts. He doesn't have this car. It was simply for him to sign it and then they took it away. Yeah. You know he you know he took it around, you know. It's probably a, once. it's probably a huge <laughs> tax break for the automaker. Can't would you just die? <laughs> If you're at the Vatican, just sitting at a light, and this Lambo pulls up, oh, yeah. boom, boom, and you look over, and it's His Excellency. It'll be on Saturday would Night you, Live this would week. Would you let him win? Oh, yeah. You would? I well, just, Matt, I, yeah. Matt Maybe that would be one of the miracles that you perform. Matt doesn't drive a Lamborghini, so he can't really keep up. What do you mean? Your, your car wouldn't even come close to keeping up, so. You don't think? The whole let him win argument is, eh. That sound there, it's like dropping a cylinder. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there, there he goes. There he goes. A little raspy. Oh, it's getting away from it. <laughs> That's cool. Okay, $450 million painting, and the, and the pontiff gets a Lamborghini. Well. It's pretty cool. And President Trump had to, a little drinking problem. With, Whoa. With Whoa. water. With, with water. Watch no, your hands there. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Well, he doesn't drink. Alcohol. No, of course not. That's cool. Been a big day. Man. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about jobs, about 70 million. What do you think of that goal? 70 million jobs specifically focused on uh, those that have a past criminal record. Interesting insight, change in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
One in three American adults have a criminal criminal record, making it harder for them to get a job. Two-thirds of released inmates find themselves back in prison. And by the way, any correlation between the two? I uh, I would bet so. The CEO, uh, there, we have a CEO uh, joining us today who's trying to turn this all around. Richard Bronson is the CEO of 70millionjobs.com, which is a for-profit employment job placement company. And he's here to go get 70 million jobs. And uh, we'll get very specific in who those jobs are for. Richard, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Matt. Talk about uh, this, the 70 million jobs that you're talking about. Um, that's, by the way, that's a huge goal. But, but tell me where you got the number. Well, uh, the number is uh, a bit exaggerated. There are about 70 million people in this country who have some kind of criminal record. Now, uh, all of them obviously are not in the job market at any given time. Right. There are some who perhaps have retired and others are happily working at a job, but still there are many, many, many more who are out in the workforce, and each and every one of them experience some level of pain in finding a job and maintaining a job given their background. True. So our goal, uh, whilst the number 70 million is very attractive to me, we have more modest aspirations along the lines of getting a million people employed over the next couple of years. And I, and I I love the idea, too, because we've talked a lot about the fact that, um, you know, there's a lot of disengaged people working today, but then there's, there's other people, uh, those that have committed crimes now are finding it hard to find jobs. Um, and but then that's got to create a disengagement in life, uh, in in mm-hmm. and, and in being able to move on and go create a healthier life. What what really happens um, from from your understanding with those that uh, have are coming out of jail or prison and and have a criminal record? What what are they going through? Talk to us um, about about your story and about what's driving you to do this. Yeah, great questions and great observations. Um, Yeah, I come to all this from a deeply personal perspective. Uh, I used to work on Wall Street years and years ago in New York, and despite having uh, built a very successful large company, unfortunately some of the behavior that I was engaged in was, quite frankly, crooked. Hmm. And uh, ultimately uh, I was rightfully punished for that, and spent a couple of years in a federal prison. When I came out, I came out like most people who have gone through the criminal justice system. I came out completely destitute, with no home, no job, no prospects, no money, of course. And I was uh, faced with the daunting task of trying to put the past behind and get on with my life. Um, As hard as it was for me, uh, and it was very, very hard, um, I couldn't help but reflect upon the fact that here I was, a white man in white corporate America with a college degree, yeah. and if it was so hard for me, what about the other folks that I was in prison with who are mostly young men of color who uh, probably didn't complete high school and had very little of any job experience? What chance would they have? And in fact, the statistics and I think you mentioned them, uh, if, I, if I heard properly, the statistics are very, very depressing regarding uh, what ultimately happens to folks when they're released from prison or jail. Almost uh, a, a huge percentage of them end up, within a short time, being rearrested, 
at great cost to personal life and families and society, which obviously has to pay a lot of money to keep people incarcerated. Um, what I've come to learn is that employment is truly the silver bullet because people with jobs almost never recidivate. And uh, I think when we consider that, that the criminal justice system uh, is that the only thing that Democrats and Republicans agree upon is that it is so broken. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've built, we're building a for-profit company which has a strong mission. The, the mission is to short-circuit the pernicious cycle of recidivism through employment. At the same time, we want to make a lot of money, too. So, you know, I, uh, I, I think it's a, a very, very, very kind of new approach, uh, taking, a for pro- uh, taking a for-profit approach to what has typically or historically been, you know, the realm of nonprofits. Yeah. Um, but nonprofits typically are very local, and they generally don't scale well. Um, whereas a for-profit venture can get as big as its profitability will take it. We also employ a lot of technology, uh, which we feel is critical for a successful scaling of an operation like this. I think it's I think it's a it's a really I think powerful model and and really hope uh, the hope. I mean, let's just say you could get seven hundred thousand jobs, not seventy million. Think of how much mm-hmm. farther ahead we'd be. Just. Let's just get ahead yeah. a little bit. And so, so what yeah. do we, what do we run into as a, as an owner, as like a business owner or um, a company? What, what is it? Do, what's their aversion? I mean, it seems like, well, they're a criminal, but what, what are, what's going through the, the employer's minds when it comes to hiring or not hiring? Right. Great. Another great question, Matt. Um, you know, all things being equal, uh, and, and, and despite the fact that I am myself a felon, a convicted felon, I don't blame businesses where if you have to choose between an applicant with no criminal record versus one that has one, all things being equal, of course you would pick the one that managed to stay out of trouble. Um, having said that, we are in a climate of historically low unemployment, and there are very large companies out there um, who have historically hired folks with records. They just never did it as a thing. They never had an initiative specifically dedicated to doing this. Um, but they have, they have experienced hiring um, the formerly incarcerated. And what they report almost uniformly is that those hires with records often – emerge as being their very best employees, hmm. um, which is kind of counterintuitive, perhaps. But in reality, when you think about it, it makes sense. People who are in prison have no sense of entitlement, which a lot of young people, I think, you know, kind of bring to the table. Yeah. Uh, they're deeply appreciative that someone would take a chance on them. And they're used to taking orders, you know, having been in prison or jail, mm-hmm. they're definitely afraid of messing up as well, because in their world, if you do that, it could have dire consequences. So as a result, for certain types of jobs, they perform incredibly well. Employers certainly have a negative bias. There may also be, when you combine to into that, you know, maybe there's an underlying racism that may exist with some employers, unfortunately, because predominantly folks who are incarcerated or people of color, men and women of color. So when you combine the two, you know, uh, every employer these days does a background check. 
And whether you were released last week or 15 or 20 years ago, as long as there's an Internet, you're going to come up on it and you're going to have to face this. Um, I think most people in this country um, have a feeling that, you know, once you've paid your dues, once, you know, you've been punished and now you sincerely want to get on with your life, I think most people believe, you know, that, that second chances are something that this country stands upon. You know, it's our it's the best part of what America is all about. So we believe in second chances for everybody. I personally don't sit in judgment. I don't feel like I have the right to sit in judgment of anybody. And when you mention 700,000, I'll go one step further. Matt, uh, I go to sleep, and if I know that we were responsible for getting one person a job that day, I go to sleep happy and proud. Oh, that's great. I've seen what, what employment can mean. I've seen husbands and wives reunited, and they stop fighting about money. You know, they, I've seen children now look up to their father or mother with a sense of pride, and families repaired. Uh, they start paying taxes. They start developing credit. They start purchasing. They build a life. And, you know, the ripple effects just keep going and going and going. So 70 million, 700,000, yeah. seven. For me, it's all good. You know what else is, I think, pretty powerful, Richard, is if you, um, I mean, if you did get, let's just say, seven million jobs, you're going to affect their family. And you're going – I mean, what it might do too, just the impact it could have, like you were saying, on on families but on marriages, on dads yep. that are able to pay child support that might then give them a chance to, to get back with their children, which then creates parenting opportunities and stronger mm-hmm. communities. I mean, the, the numbers behind it are, are staggering. And and do you think do you think our our penal system our prison system is is actually doing enough to also set these uh, the the convicted felons up to to leave prison with the skills they need to get a job? There are pockets of you know really progressive uh, programming that exists uh, you know within um, you know different facilities around the country. Um, there are some where they're training men and women to learn how to code, you know, write, write computer code. And others are training people in, you know, skills uh, and certifications that, you know, are in demand industries. But generally speaking, no. Um, we still are living with the vestiges of that the solutions should be found in more prison cells and longer sentences. Yeah, uh, it just doesn't. It just doesn't work. Uh, the war on drugs hasn't worked. Three strikes, you're out. Hasn't worked. None of this has worked. And evidence of it is by again how disparate the part the the, the players are now in this space. I mean, the Koch brothers, who are about as conservative as yeah. you can find in this country, they have a heavy interest more from a, an economic point of view. Because they see us, you know, as a country spending something like $100 billion on a broken system. So that doesn't make sense to them. Other people, you know, from a a moralistic or humanistic point of view, you know, are heavily invested in this. You know, I'm I'm kind of on both sides of that. Um, You know, uh, when you mention the ripple effect and the positive impact, 
the corollary to that or the negative behind that is that when people are rearrested, that means there's new victims oh, and there true. are new cops that get shot. And it, you know, it costs, you know, it, it might cost seventy, eighty thousand dollars for a city or a county to incarcerate someone for that additional year when they do recidivate. Think of all this money that could be so much better purposed, you know, either in training of these folks when they get out or in advance of their getting out, or in other areas like homelessness or education or, you know, medical care or, you know, God knows there's plenty that we can be, plenty of things that we can be using the money a lot better currently than what we're doing with it. Absolutely. Uh, we're speaking again with Richard Bronson, who is the CEO of 70 Million Jobs. Dot com and his goal is to find 70 million it's a for-profit company to find 70 million jobs for those who have um, criminal records and really I guess the power of it uh, like you're saying is um, you you know you lift one you lift five and uh, in lifting five you also eliminate five other problems and so exactly. it, it's, it really is I think it's a really powerful mission and purpose Do you, did you notice um, did it come from the fact that you served Richard I mean this that must have given you some immense um, understanding insight and empathy about it um, is, is yeah. that was that the impetus of your vision here yeah well it's certainly a big part I'm not sure that I would have been drawn to this had I not had unfortunate domain experience here. Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, uh, you know, I got out and, uh, and I also worked at a prominent nonprofit in the space. And that really connected me, you know, with what the challenges were and what the opportunities might be. But, you know, as I tell people, I discovered very late in life what my real calling is. Hmm. I consider every man and woman who's ever done time to be my brother and sis- or sister. I feel a connection to each and every one of them. I've sat with rapists and murderers, and I've hugged and cried with them. And, you know, when you discover the humanity that exists in everybody, and you discover that these are folks who had really such terrible, terrible lives starting out, and yet they continue to persevere and believe you know, in the prospects of what the future could bring, it's inspiring. And I would urge your listenership, if you ever have the opportunity to go into a prison with any kind of program, you will potentially have a transformative experience because you'll be connecting with a human being that chances are you would never meet, and yet you will feel like you're meeting this amazing soul, and you'll walk out of it humbled and inspired. No, I totally agree. And Richard, I've, I do it about every three months. I get to go visit our state prison here in Utah and teach some classes and, and just spend time with them. And honestly, it's one of the most spiritual things I do. It's because it, you do see the humanity of people. And I so honor what you're doing. The website is 70millionjobs.com, 70millionjobs.com. We can't keep holding a grudge against our felons and criminals. If they've paid their time, let's let them out. Let's get them educated. Let's get them so they can move on and lift their families and, and change the cycle, break the change or break the chains. Uh, and Richard Bronson's doing it at 70millionjobs.com. A great hope, I think, for all of us and really, I think, inspiring. Uh, something we could all be looking to do more of, a little more charity, a lot more forgiveness. This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, helping you be the good in the world. 
Welcome back, friends. Hey, all you single ladies. It's time to, uh, not just the ladies, by the way, all the singles in China had a really big party recently. They're celebrating Singles Day. It was on uh, November 11th. Yeah. And Singles Day is, uh, let's see here, it says Chinese Singles Day is an entertaining festival famous among young mainland Chinese people to celebrate the fact that they're proud of being single. Now, which you would think, you know, some would not feel a need to celebrate singlehood. I think it's just kind of a response that so many uh, holidays are about family and all this. And if you're single, you kind of get left out of it. So they have a singles day to celebrate. Is it pride, though, or is it, you know, it's okay if you're single? Probably a little of both. Okay. And... Um, what would one do on single day? As it says here, the date, November 11th, emerged yeah. as a counterculture antidote to the sentimentality of Valentine's Day. Oh. Because you're single on Valentine's Day, it's kind of, you know, yeah. if you let it get to you, it can wah, be depressing. Wah, wah, that, wah. Exactly. So uh, there's a, a website called Alibaba. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of your, it's more kind of an eBay, Amazon it's, hybrid type it's thing. It's Alibaba's on. And uh, the reason Yahoo.com has money, Yahoo, right, is because they made a huge investment in Alibaba, and then it turned into something way bigger than anyone expected. Yeah, and it, the investment in that Yahoo made in Alibaba is actually worth more than the actual company of Yahoo. So, yeah, right? do you so, have to be good... single to shop on Alibaba? No, no. Huh. But on that day, apparently the singles went cray cray. Apparently. So, what they in one day, it generated $25 billion in sales. $25 billion. In comparison, Black Friday? Yeah. About $3.8 billion. Wow. Something like that, right? So, I mean, just huge disparity between the, the biggest shopping day here in, the, in this country versus... Over there That's why Asia. we need trade policies with China. Right. So the sales in the e-commerce giant Alibaba worked more with traditional retailers to market counter or discounted lobster, iPhones, register, refrigerators to shoppers from at least 225 countries. Holy cow. Lobster buying lobster online? Yeah. Excuse the, me. The miracle of dry ice. Can you put your drums now. away, please? <laughs> lay down a... Here. I just to, started trying to lay down a beat so you'd wrap it, but you're to not wrapping pump, it. To pump merchandise, the Chinese uh, company hosted a star-studded gala with film star Nicole Kidman, uh, American wow. rapper uh, Pharrell Williams, Chief Executive Officer, Officer Daniel Zing said the company wants to make the event more global and is planning to take its gala overseas soon without giving a time frame. So they, they're just looking to expand this globally. Well, expand the Alibaba offerings? The or brand it, and the Singles Day celebration. And so November 11th may turn into something What, $25 billion isn't enough for you? It, not not if your whole job is to create more revenue, right? You yeah. Just keep growing Here's every year. Here's Farrell Williams. Uh, which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, he's got a Curious George hat. <laughs> Curious. A 10-gallon hat? Yeah, pretty the, nice. The annual frenzy posted a 39% increase in sales. Holy cow. Right? Which uh, the estimate, the, like the city group estimates and define concerns of an economic slowdown globally. Mm-hmm. Right? And then it's, it helped, the event helped at least 82 brands top 100 million in sales. Holy cow. Nike, uh, some other companies, they're more global, it looks like. They've come out of some of the biggest winners in this, right? Yeah, People sure. were, there. Some of the most extreme things purchased were yachts. 
Like just crazy, <laughs> just huge amount of number. And then people wow. are buying little things for just gifts yeah, for, each, yeah. for each other or for themselves. Is that where whichever. you buy a yacht? Possibly. On the, Alibaba? I went on there. You can buy like chicken's feet. Why? You know, crazy. You know, it's it's something people use it's for cooking, right? Or you could buy soups. yachts and cars and all kinds of stuff. It's like a huge, <laughs> like, bizarre type thing. That is a neat idea. Don't you think the whole single day would actually really take off? Don't you think? I think so. I mean, it, they are the forgotten people. Like, I think it's like they've been living underground and then all of a sudden they come out on that day. But think of how a lot of holidays aren't really – Directed for singles. Apparently, That's going to be hard. I, I heard a report that around 80 to 90% of the purchases were on cell phones. Oh, my word. Which over here, purchasing on cell phones on the internet that way is probably around more like 30%. Right? Mm. So they're, they, they've turned into this whole e-commerce thing where it's in your hand, in your pocket. Here, we tend to go find a computer. Well, go you might even, somewhere. yeah, because their economy is probably such, too, where everybody would probably get a phone before they'd get a computer and they might keep a phone and that's the way they do everything right everything's the phone it's a whole different approach and an economy and how the people use devices yeah. and things so that's cool but marketers want to get us to use our phones more simply because we have them with us sure well and it's, so happening. it's more convenient and you want to use them. it's growing but not as fast as it's growing overseas man alibaba's on is amazing alibaba's on is that what you called it mm-hmm. all right it's alibaba's amazon so, yeah, in that 24-hour period, $25 billion in sales. I mean, like, what have you done in a, in a day? Well. Like, think about your best day ever. Like, over the weekend, I raked my yard. Uh-huh. I cleaned out the gutters on oh, the yeah. house because I had a bunch yeah. of leaves in it. Yeah. I put the hoses away because it's getting cold. I want wow. to get the hose, yeah. the garden hoses away. Um but I changed the windshield wipers on both of our cars. Mm. I changed out the the, bolt, the headlight bulb on my car went out. Wow. So I had, to, I had to figure out how to get under the hood yeah. and dig through there and figure out how to do that. So I did a lot that day. I'm yeah, sorry. Big day. How do you remember what you did last weekend? Yeah. When I come into work on Monday, it's gone. Yeah, I but, can't remember. I know, but you can remember a, a television show you watched in the 80s? It makes no sense. No, it's totally messed up. Thank heavens. <laughs> Thank heavens because – uh, Terry gets stuff done, and you and I don't remember what happened yesterday. Pretty pathetic. Of course, my biggest, most productive day of the year was a week ago. So, Really? You think I had something more in the past? I can't remember anything. I just remember what happened last week. I think that's what we're all doing. We're all just trying to stay alive. <laughs> all right. Uh, up next, we're going we're gonna to do a little, I guess, Coach's Corner, give you some ideas, some tools to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. coach would have put me in fourth quarter we'd have been state champions because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner play ball play ball hey folks uh you know if you feel like you're getting old uh and maybe faster than you want to well, here's a little tool for you i've been doing some research on uh some things that might keep you younger today we're just going to talk about one of the things to stay young in spirit And uh, the simple answer is you need to laugh more, period. You know, researchers claim that children laugh three to 400 times a day while adults only laugh 20 times a day. And many of you have met an adult that doesn't even do that. And that's just sad, right? So you're more likely to laugh. If you want to bring a little more laughter to your life, you're more likely to laugh around others 
um, not because the jokes are funnier, but because laughing becomes contagious. And so if you be careful of you like trying to avoid a lot of people, staying away from people, you might want to force yourself out. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling older, disengaged from life, you uh, it probably means it's time to go get back in the circle of friends, back in the circle at work and, and see if you can't. Um, become a part of of, uh, laughing more. If you hear laughter in the audience or in your offices, you might want to go walk toward that area, (laughs) see if you can pick up a little of that. Laughing actually burns calories, about 10 to 40 calories if you laugh for 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, It's probably not a a major cardiovascular workout, but it's probably worth doing it nonetheless. It's also good for your relationships. Research shows that laughing uh, and when couples use laughter and they smile, they end up touching more and their levels of satisfaction Satisfaction and marital satisfaction, relationship satisfaction go up as well. Plus, by the way, and Jeff and I know this better than anybody, uh, laughter is incredibly attractive. Uh, Dr. Provine, a a researcher, found that women laugh uh, 126% more than men in cross-gender conversations, with men preferring to be the one prompting the laughter. So if a, if a female laughs at a male, he finds her uh, six, he finds her more attractive. And men that are funny, women find much more attractive. Unless she has a really odd laugh. Yeah. Or she looks weird when she's laughing. Yeah. That's a great point. That really is a good point. Uh, By the way, laughter is also good for memory. It helps you retain things. If you laugh through it uh, and have more fun doing it, you're going to retain the memory more. It enhances your immunity. It improves your sleep. So you want to do something for health this, uh, you know, during the holiday season. Try to watch some funny movies. Try to go get get a little laughter in your life. Smile. <laughs> this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Jeff. The gang, we're gathered to celebrate Fast Food Day. Hmm. This is the song I, I uh, play over and over and over as I'm getting ready for work. We can just check out, and I can just press play on the 10-hour version of this. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go get. Let's <laughs> we'll go, go get, get some, some breakfast. <laughs> A breakfast burrito. By the way, this song is called "Fast Food Rockers." By nothing more attractive than fast food rockers. Uh, I wouldn't call those outfits particularly appealing. Space age. Yeah, looks a little bit like the hot dog on a stick uh, uniform, but a lot more space age. Welcome, uh, folks. November 16th is the day you celebrate fast food. If you were wondering, hey, when are we going to celebrate Pizza Hut and Kentucky Fried Chicken? Was anybody wondering that? <laughs> oh, no. Don't you get – we get calls all the time about that. Terry's so tired of fielding those calls. Yeah. So don't today, we talk about food every day? Well, yeah. But who doesn't? <laughs> It's it's a very simple topic. Uh, thanks to the rising popularity of cars after World War One, fast food started finding a niche that could uh, fill the roadbound traveler. It's the way you fill that that your gut. 
And boy, thank heavens that you could now just pull into a drive-thru. You can idle, smell the fumes of the car in front of you, and get some fast food. So it's time to thank the people in your life. It's time to, to, to get them in the car and get them to a restaurant as fast as you can. Uh, we're going to be talking about that today. Also, we've got a lot of empty news to cover, um, a lot of headlines as well, uh, crazy stuff still going on in Washington, D.C. We may uh, be having a division in the tax plan. Senators, one senator's not on board, and they, they don't have room to not have everyone on board. Um, Roy Morse, uh, two more people have come out uh, alleging uh, abuse from Roy Moore or harassment Unwanted from Roy Moore. attention, inappropriate touching, yeah. stuff like that. He apparently was, you know, uh, he, he was the talk of a mall. A mall, and everybody at the mall knew when Roy Moore pulled up. Um, back in the day. So that's creating more and more chaos. Uh, also bringing in a lot of talk show hosts. Sean Hannity's even been kind of pulled into that in a major way or inserted himself in that in a major way. So we'll cover some of that. Plus, of course, a turkey tangent a little bit later. And we are going to also be getting into a little bit about grief. How do you how do you uh, find yourself and reignite your life after a loss? Uh, interesting topic coming up. With uh, Cheryl Rice will be joining us to talk about that. But first and foremost, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what should we be focused on? House Republicans are poised today to pass a sweeping tax reform package that, if enacted, would deliver the first major legislative victory in the Trump era. President Trump will visit Capitol Hill ahead of the vote to rally support. But it appears there will be little need to twist arms. Speaker Paul Ryan and fellow leaders have been in a buoyant mood, as this article says, all week. A buoyant really? mood. Maybe they're floating down the hallway with joy. But really? They've signaled that they have the 217 votes needed to pass tax cuts and job acts, because that's what it's called, the yeah. tax and job jobs. But act. wouldn't you need it? You'd think you'd be happier if you knew it would somehow get through the Senate. Ah. Blah. They'll figure it out. Okay. And the days leading up to the vote have been relatively drama-free as three main House GOP factions, the Far-Right Freedom Caucus, the Conservative Republican Study Committee, which sounds really boring, and the Moderate Tuesday Group, again, kind of boring, mm-hmm. uh, have either backed the bill or stayed on the sidelines, meaning no one is speaking openly against this, so they feel like maybe they have the votes and they can oh. get it through. Well, we'll see. Even the Tuesday Group, which just sounds like... Yeah, blah, right. Don't you prefer? I prefer the Wednesday group. Personally. Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday is more of a a happier day. It is yeah. the middle of Hump the week. Day. Everything's downhill, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah. whatever. I mean, who likes Tuesdays? Nah, what a horrible very many group. Uh, Republican Alabama Senate nominee Roy Moore now trails twelve points behind Democratic rival Doug Jones, according to a new National Republican Senatorial Committee poll. Uh, now that's the wrong direction. I it, thought he was Roy. ahead. No, he the, was the GOP poll, which has him leading Jones by sixteen points in early October comes after five women accused more of sexual misconduct when they were teenagers and he was in his 30s. It's now up to probably around eight, if the numbers, yeah. I have them correctly. Uh, Jones now leads more 51 to 39, according to the survey. The uh, senatorial poll withdrew, or the, the Senate uh, committee that supports candidates with money withdrew its support from Moore's candidacy last week after the Washington Post published the first allegations against him. Several other Republican leaders have since withdrawn their endorsement, calling Moore to step aside. This is a big deal because uh, this could go to the Democrat. Eh, it could. Yeah, sure. Right? I mean, is well, who's leading well, is the Democrat. 
Well, now as it, well, so unless they the, can either the election, get him the elections in a month. Is there a write-in yeah. Republican who could win? That's one option, as Senator McConnell has said multiple times. But that would actually require people to write. Yes. Ah. And a lot of people don't remember how to do that. It's more fun to fill in bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I write, prefer bubbles. And write-in options are much more funny when it's like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. Oh, sure. Yeah. I saw some funny ones when I worked at the elections office. Right. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I forgot Judge you did Judy that. for the judicial position. Oh, yeah. There was a treasury position that uh, people were voting for Scrooge McDuck. Mm. Good choice. <laughs> Good choice. Well, he can swim through the money. That's true. That's a skill. That's a talent. Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut, said Wednesday, the senators are nearing a bipartisan deal on gun legislation following the number of high, a number of high-profile mass shootings. Murphy's office pointed the website The Hill to comments made last week by Senate Majority Whip John Cornyn of Texas, who said that he would talk to Democrats about strengthening background checks, an initiative that gained some bipartisan momentum earlier this month after a gunman opened fire on a church in southern Texas, killing 26 people. Hmm. It was revealed, of course, that the uh, the background checks weren't sufficient enough to detect this guy had been, you know, released yeah. from the military. And he shouldn't have got had a gun, but oh, come <clears throat> that on. whole thing. So Cornyn has been driving force in the GOP for strengthening background checks since November the November 5th shooting. He told reporters last week that he would work with Democrats to close the gaps in the system. We'll see where that goes. But the Democrat, as I said, his name is Chris Murphy. He said they're close on a bipartisan deal. Getting close. What do you think? No? No. All right, two things it's here. It's a lot harder to do. It's easier said than done. There was an accusation made earlier in the show that we talk a lot about food. Yeah. How rude is that? I don't know where that comes from, but I have some more food here to talk about. Cool. Um, what about, do you like hot sauce at all? No. Next topic. Have you seen the? Have you seen all the people <laughs> like Shaquille O'Neal did it? Uh, the, there's some women on The View that did it. There's some uh, newscasters in Colorado that did it, and they got oh. sick where they eat the Carolina yeah. Reaper chip. No, you don't do it. You don't do that. One chip challenge. It comes uh, the one tortilla chip packaged in its own individual right. package. Wow. You, you eat it, and then your face melts off. So why would you? I, I have sat on a set yeah. where a, a, like an afternoon or a noon anchor on television did that and then the next thing we know fluids were flowing yeah from his nostrils <laughs> right. from every your nose runs your eyes it was run the you're ugliest sick. television yeah. moment i've ever seen right because it's funny to watch other people's pain yeah we don't so why do they do that i don't know they know it's not gonna work but there's this uh company called home sweet homegrown okay hmm. they're in pennsylvania they are they make a carolina reaper actually it's a ghost pepper they're they're really hot, both of them. They're right? both hot. Um, chocolate ghost pepper hot sauce. So it's a mm. chocolate-flavored hot sauce. They say that chocolate and hot and hot <laughs> pair well together. I Really? What you know you? what, though? My, my daughter last night asked for pumpkin pancakes mm. and chips and salsa. So there's, you know, sweet and spicy can maybe, go together. Maybe she's pregnant. My wife, when she's pregnant, has weird cravings like that. Really? Yeah. So she's this, sick. Okay. This reviewer from Delish.com. Hold on. Mm. Yeah. It's a you, website called Delish. You, I know, but you read it. You read. Well, no, Delish? I, I stumbled onto chocolate hot sauce. Is really what this caught me with. No, he, he doesn't read Delish. He he reads from Dish Delish. Right. Mm. I, I'm more of an eater. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. Not a delish. Okay. It's different. Amazingly, it says, amazingly, when blended up in a hot sauce with a more mild pepper and cocoa powder, this is where the chocolate comes in. The ghost pepper adds, an, adds on a new life, bold, 
but not in the I want you dead kind of way. And it's also super complex. It's bold, but not in an I want you dead sort of way. Yeah, the heat. Wow. So it's just below I want you dead. Yeah. But it's bold Hmm. enough to notice it. And complex. Oh, I like the complex idea. And then it says this is the hot sauce you want to put everything on if you can handle the heat. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Just right now, uh, do you notice that your salivary glands are starting to produce saliva? <laughs> hmm. Like right really? now, mine are, and I think my nose is even starting to run. Really? Wow. You can't take the heat then. Mm-hmm. It's complex. Have, um, moving on, have you heard of Kinder Eggs? No, I've heard of Kinder Music. In Europe, they have, most of the world, I think, they have these eggs that are kind of a holiday tree, Easter. Oh, type yeah. Thing. And inside the chocolate egg is a toy. Right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. These are banned in the United States. Choking hazard? Right. Is that why? A 1930s law forbidding the sale of foods that have non-edible items in the middle. Ah. <sighs> Like a bicycle, a they little f- plastic bicycle. As the picture has. So they fear that you know, people are going to yeah. choke. Because You're going to pop those we're not, in there? We're not smart enough to know that that there's something in there. Don't swallow mm-hmm. it. But no, whatever. right. right. Uh, so for anyone who isn't aware, Kinders are currently sold in hundreds of countries around the world. The surprise eggs, which include a toy hidden in the chocolate eggshell, were banned in America by the FDA uh, again back in the 70s because the toys were considered to be a choking hazard. So you can consider... Uh, consider Kinder Joy, it's a new product, mm. a safer version of the candies as each candy consists of two individually packaged halves. One half holds the surprise toy, while the other half consists of two wafer balls sitting in chocolate cream. See, wow. now I would I would be more likely to eat the toy than the wafer balls. Probably. Not yeah. a big wafer guy. Well, yeah, well, well you'd I'm, split it and give one half to your brother and you'd eat the other half and then you'd be choking on a little bicycle. Mm. So these aren't Kinder Eggs at all. These are... Two halves and one has a toy, and then there's some oh. candy. So, but they're trying to get around the law that still hasn't been repealed. It's, it's oh sure, thanks. Of, get around dumb. the law that keeps us from choking. Yeah, just don't don't choke on the toy. That's that's a neat tradition. I like I like throwing something in my mouth hmm. that has a surprise in it. <laughs> You may want to break it open. I think people around the world look at it and go, this is a Kinder Egg, and they break it open and get the toy out, then eat the chocolate. Yeah. I think when I first started this job, I told you that was one of my biggest fears, was putting something in my mouth, thinking it'll taste one way, and it tastes totally different. Yeah. Do you remember when I gave you that squeaky cheese? I like squeaky cheese. Do you remember when a mouse was in it, and you had to spit the mouse out? That one I didn't like as much. That was really squeaky cheese. Did you hear that uh, President Trump uh, may have started a new fad, a fad in um, Japan? This is huge. When he was in Japan, mm. he and the prime minister uh, shared uh, cheeseburgers. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I saw this. And the cheeseburger Really was, nice cheeseburger. It was a nice It's the kind where they stick the knife in the top. That's like, when you know it's high quality. Well, I thought he prefers McDonald's cheeseburgers. Well, he does, but you know. Uh, okay. I don't know. This cheeseburger He was traveling abroad, so he tried really the local good. local uh, cuisine there with their hamburger. It's a 100% U.S. Angus beef Colby Jack cheeseburger mm. in Tokyo's Tiny Munch's, Munch's Burger Shack. It's do called. you have a photo? I do. That my, sounds amazing. Show. Yeah, but you're on that diet thing again. <clears throat> Blasted! It, uh, it looks really good, but apparently now people are lining up yeah. to get this $12 burger fry combo. I've, I've seen better. Yeah. What do you mean you've seen better? I've seen better. Yeah. The presentation is kind of like it's too much 
smearing of the cheese. It looks it's, like it's been sitting in yeah. aluminum foil for a while. No, it's a Japanese hamburger joint. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, yeah. it's a new thing it's a there. Go, it's a good attempt. And, and again, where's the knife sticking out of the top? We didn't name the the name of the establishment, so we can give our true opinion. No, we did. I just did, actually. Just oh, you did? The name, uh, by the way, oh, it's, it. it's actually known more for its sushi, soba, its yeah. tempura, and now it's going with the American well, What's cuisine. the name of it again? It's called doo, 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 uh, Tokyo's Tiny Munch's Burger Shack. Oh, I love them. This is the option for the people that show up and they want the sushi. Like, yeah. You go in a group and everybody wants sushi. There's that one person, oh, I'll have a hamburger because they don't like sushi. <laughs> and then there's that <laughs> one person that wants, I want a charbroiled, burnt, yeah. caramelized. I'd like a hockey charcoal. puck on a bun, please. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <sighs> so they're lining up for I'm hamburgers. Hungry. They're lining up and uh, like off the shelf. These people, they can't believe what a big deal this is. Apparently, the Japanese love President Trump. Great. Well, That's, some do. Well, no. I mean, no, every single one of them. Oh, really? They've done studies. Okay. Well, which I think is so great. Universal appeal, I guess. I really honestly think President Trump needs to travel more. His ratings went through the roof. <laughs> they, they go through the roof, and he gets a lot done. He does. And then he keeps D.C. kind of quiet, and then we can kind of handle other things like yeah. Roy Moore and other things. I think it's fantastic. Okay. Well, I wonder where his next trip is. Mm. Well, apparently it's to Mar-a-Lago for Thanksgiving. Of course. <laughs> and golfing, I bet. Um, fun stuff. Let's, uh, Jeff, do you have any uh, empty news headlines for us? Well, thanks for asking. I do have a few. Um, and it's funny because we were just talking about great, great savings on holiday items on Alibaba and Amazon. Amazon. Ali- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think anybody can beat this woman. Who, well, ho, 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 ho. We shouldn't well, be beating anybody. <laughs> I, I should say, I can't any, I don't think anybody can beat what this woman did. Okay, excellent. Uh, so she had some tremendous savings. She got $1,800 worth of merchandise. Where? For $3.70. Okay, is this a robbery? <laughs> did she kind still? of. So uh, she uh, lives in Indian River County, Florida. Okay. She was arrested Monday. Oh, boy. After she rung up $1,800 of high-priced electronics for $3.70 at Walmart at the self-checkout stand. And uh, her name is Cheyenne Amber West, 25 years old. She's a waitress from Fort Pierce, Florida. She got caught by a loss prevention officer after he saw her and a woman identified in the arrest affidavit as her mother picking out an HP Omen computer, Mm. video game controllers, and other items from the electronics section. Here was her plan. Her plan was to cover the barcodes of the items she intended to steal with barcode stickers of items from the clearance section and ring them up herself at checkout. Yeah. And so it's unclear at which point West was apprehended by the loss prevention officer who watched her and her mother pick out the items and wheel the unpaid merchandise to the exit in a shopping cart. After her arrest, she was spotted on video surveillance swapping the stickers. Really? So somebody was watching these incredibly low prices on these incredibly high-priced items. Yeah. And then, yeah. Well, I think – the minute you see uh, – because those would come in bigger boxes, right? So the minute yep. – I'm sure they watch those lines. And the minute you see you know, someone pushing a big screen television through that 
little scanner. But how I mean, how often are they watching the prices well, accumulate on the screens? Well, I don't know, but I I would. It just seems like to me. Again, I'm no loss prevention expert. But if somebody is going to be doing an electronic device, I would bet they all pay more attention to electronics moving through those things. I than, guess that's a good point. Than you putting tuna fish cans through. Sure, it's a good point. So, but I just I never feel like people really pay any attention whenever I go through the self checkout. Yeah, see, that's line. the problem. You don't know that there's always there's always eyes watching you. Always. Always watching Wazowski. Yeah. Uh, Are you okay? So, so we we talked about uh, great deals on holiday items. We've talked about food. I'm curious to know: Do you feel like you're going to uh, hit the food pretty hard this Thanksgiving and Christmas? You know what? Here's the deal. I'm going to shoot straight with you. I have to look around to see if anyone's listening. <laughs> um, I would love to just totally engorge and just shove as much food in my cake hole as I can. Sure. However, oh no, I will be uh, dining and staying with a lot of relatives that choose to be healthy people. So you're not going to have an opportunity to be in a dark corner somewhere, no. just shoveling that ice cream no. in. And okay, they will notice that we had some uh, pumpkin pie when we go to bed Thursday night, and they will recognize that in the morning somehow the pie is gone. <laughs> And sometime in those midnight hours, I will sneak out and I will pig out. See, they need to set up some surveillance cameras. I know, but I'm not going to tell them anything about this. Okay. But my the deal is I would love to eat a lot, but I have a feeling I won't be. I have a feeling I'll be having a lot of smoothies. Nothing wrong with that. It's just a lot of smoothies. That wake I, you up at uh, 6 in the morning? That'll be my alarm in the morning. <laughs> and then uh, the, I'll, but I'll smoothie it and then I'll have a light supper. Okay, and lots of roughage. All right, I <sighs> I'm I was worried the other day, and that's why yesterday I just said I'm going upstairs. I'm stepping on the scale. Yeah, I'm enlisting in another one of these games, one of the six month versions, which I have not done. You're going to do a six month version, which forces you to lose weight regularly because you're paying a lot of money to well, win. and to still enjoy the holidays, mm-hmm. but also you know be responsible and be held accountable. How much do you think your facial hair currently weighs? You're a monster. <laughs> Don't you dare. You got a lot of facial hair right no. now. No. Uh, so anyway, uh, I don't I don't know if you knew this. I actually did some digging through the archives. Oh, no. And sometimes, you know, you don't realize how much you've had until after the fact, and then you all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what did I just do? I'm yeah. about to die. I can't breathe. Oh, no. Oh, so, no. If only there was some sort of device that could tell you when you've had too much, kind of like a breathalyzer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, So I did some digging through the archives and found this little nugget. It's the holidays, which means pumpkin pie, turkey and mashed potatoes, eggnog and figgy pudding. And with so many tasty treats, it's easy to get carried away. Thankfully, the trusty scientists at Blamco have developed the gluttonous gormandizing indicator, also known as the gluttonizer. The only device that'll tell you when you've shoveled in too much. Simply insert the device into your mouth and blow. If you blow a 0.2, you've likely only nibbled on a couple of crackers. Good for you. If you blow a 2.8, better slow down and leave some room for a slice of pie. If you blow a 4.2, you're done. Time to pull out the sweatpants and plop down in front of the TV. 
And if you can't breathe at all, yeah, you've had too much. This holiday season, if you don't want to be carried away in a coffin, don't get carried away at the table. The Glattonizer from Blanco. Welcome back, friends, to the program. You know, the death of a loved one has a way of causing us to reevaluate our lives. And after our next guest, Cheryl Rice's mother passed away from cancer, Cheryl discovered she wasn't truly living her life and wasn't allowing herself to love. Cheryl, an expert in positive psychology, joins us today to share how she changed her life by learning to love again. Cheryl, thank you so much for being with us. Matt, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You bet. This is such, I think, an important uh, part of of life is um, going through a trial like the loss of someone dear, um, and then figuring out how to how to kind of live life again and find ourselves again and and really find the joy of life again. It's it, it's it's universal, isn't it? Oh, it's so universal. If we live and we love, we grieve. Absolutely, it's part of life. Talk about your experience with your mother and and how that has influenced you to create um, this marathon uh, movement, the the You Matter Marathon. Sure. Thank you for asking, Matt. So a few years ago, my mother died within a six-month period. It was a sudden diagnosis of lung cancer, and I was in my early 40s, and she was in her mid-60s, and none of us were prepared for the diagnosis as I'm sure many of your listeners have been in that situation. And we went through the six months hoping for a miracle, and it didn't come. And when she died, I was wholly unprepared, actually, to live a life without her. She had been my best friend and my greatest champion in life, and which is wonderful. I mean, so many people told me during the funeral and the, the months after how almost jealous they were of our closeness. And I felt so grateful, and at the same time, it added a level of bereavement that I wasn't prepared for, because because we were so close, Matt, when I lost her, I realized I lost an outer champion, and I didn't really have an inner champion. I didn't really have an abiding friendship with myself as much as I actually professionally supported other women yeah. in their growth, but I, I found myself really lost, um, really lost in the wake of her passing. And I had to do a lot of work to really come to find my own sense of mattering, that that I mattered independent of having someone close to me affirm my significance, that I had to learn how to do that for myself. Boy, that's a a profound uh, concept that because we, our roots grow together. We grow together with these people. And a lot of times we don't know where they're they end and we begin and we so you're saying you had to at some point figure out who you are and that not just who you are but that you have inherent worth independent of your mom yes yes and i think that's a journey that we all need to take to really become whole and free and some people do it earlier than others and some people perhaps never do it at all but when my mom passed that was the gateway and my mentality is you know when we have challenges in life if we grow from them, then then we we prosper. And so I was determined to grow from my grief, and that was the path that I needed to take, Matt, was to learn how to affirm 
my own wholeness and and goodness and mattering in the world. And then just to jump, and we can certainly go back and talk more about the grief in that process, but ultimately the concept of mattering became so important to me, and I learned how much I, I gained when I would affirm for other people that they matter. So very simply, I started sharing little cards that just had the words, you matter on them with people. And I found they were so touched. It was almost like they needed to hear this message. And, you know, at some point I'm happy to, to tell oh, you yeah. a really profound experience of, of sharing a You Matter card. But needless to say, what happened is I thought other people want to, I want to give this gift of sharing You Matter cards to others. And that's when the idea for the You Matter Marathon, No Running Required, was born, where I'm inviting people to give out one You Matter card a day for a month, in, in, in the month of Thanksgiving of November. And I send people, Matt, 30 You Matter cards for free wherever they are in the world wow. so they can participate and share this magic. And it truly is magic medicine when people share a You Matter card. Not only does it affirm for the receiver that he or she matters in the world, but it affirms for the giver our own significance. And to me, that's the best win-win we could hope for. That's amazing. How do you afford to send anybody that that signs up 30 cards? Well, you're, you're kind to ask. Last year, it was a passion project, and I, I just had the support, luckily, of my husband, and we put off buying a car, and we did it, and not knowing that it would happen again. But the response of people who participated, we had people from every state in 59 countries give out all, over a quarter million You Matter cards, and Holy I couldn't cow. turn away. But I also couldn't self-finance it. So this year we are aligned with a, a nonprofit, and I was able to raise enough money through the generosity of people who know about the power of this that we, we have enough. So I'm investing some money happily, but not nearly as much as last year. So we basically became a nonprofit so we can, we can do this. Thank goodness. Because yeah. the joy is happening now. People can go to our Facebook page or our website at youmattermarathon.com and see the amazing um, experiences people are having as they share You Matter cards. Wow. So this went went from grieving your mother um, to recognizing that you matter, you had to go find your own identity, your own sense of mattering and believe in yourself, to then seeing the joy in your heart when you're trying to convince another that they matter and the passion that comes from that to a card that you then decided to start sending people to now the You Matter Marathon and now a full-blown uh, you know, nonprofit to get this out there. Yeah. Wow. Well, you, you described that so beautifully, and I want your listeners to know this did not happen in, in a few months. This no. was a few years. I, the marathon wasn't even a drop in my imagination. Right. At the beginning, it was just, how am I going to live in this world without my mother? I did not know. I did not know how to be a motherless daughter. And my grief was profound, and it it took me out. And I had to work through that and realize that I did have value independent of her. Certainly that's what she would want me to recognize. And, And I wanted other people to learn that they inherently have value independent of others, too. It's kind of an an irony, Matt. It's like, yes, everybody needs to know they matter and needs to kind of come to, I love how you described it, our own sense of mattering to ourselves. And it's not a but. And we also need other people to affirm us. Mm. So it's it's both. And so that's why the You Matter Marathon is so powerful, because as I said, 
it's a double win. When I tell you, Matt, you matter, I'm inherently honoring my own significance. So it's really not about you or me. It's about our common humanity and the fact that we are interdependent. You alluded to this so beautifully at the outset of this interview about kind of we come from two. I mean, I'm here because of two, my mom and my dad. So we think about ourselves sometimes as very independent, but the truth is we emerged from two and we need each other to survive. And in this climate, we're really finding ourselves feeling more left out, marginalized. The the differences between us sometimes feel like they're more significant than the commonalities. So the expression of you matter is more important than ever in today's climate where people are, I believe, looking for ways to connect. And this is such a simple way. It's simple and yet profound. And that's why we wanted to give the cards out for free, because one, I wanted people to have an experience of receiving a You Matter card in the mail before they give them out. And also, no barriers to entry. Nobody can say, I don't have the money. I can't participate. I'll send you the cards for free. We even tell people how to print them. And we have schools involved and churches and, and you know, every kind of nonprofit you could imagine, community groups. And right now with Thanksgiving, we're we're inserting cards into baskets for people um, of food. So there's really no uh, population that we don't want to reach with You Matter cards. And again, on our Facebook page, people are showing how they're using these in prisons and schools. And mm-hmm. it's just so heartwarming, Matt, um, that people are craving something to do to bring our communities that we're in together. And this is just one way of affirming our common humanity. We again are speaking with Cheryl Rice, uh, who is really the founder of youmattermarathon.com, which is a, a nonprofit organization that's designed to really catch on the fact that everybody in this world matters, everybody has inherent worth, and uh, A, you need to find your worth, but also B, we need to validate that others matter in our lives and share that. And be, it's this great contagion approach. Um, Cheryl and and the website that you, that you uh, that you're talking about here is youmattermarathon.com. I'm on it right now, and one of the things there are so many stories of people that have gone through and shared the cards. Talk about a few examples of uh, some of the people that are out writing the cards. What's what impact is it having on their lives and the lives that they're validating? Great question, Matt. Well, a significant one. I can tell you that one participant in the marathon said to me. This has been the best November of her life so far. Another person says, Cheryl, when I carry You Matter cards in my pocket, I feel like I have a superpower. Hmm. And she was saying, because I know at any minute I can change somebody's day, maybe even their life. I can tell you that I had an experience last year where I gave a card to a young woman in a store. It was after the holidays. You know, the lines were long with returns. She could not have been more hospitable and lovely in the wake of a a really overwhelming line in front of her and kind of irritable people. And so before I left, I just gave her a card. I didn't have time to chat with her. And I gave her a You Matter card, and she started to tear up, and she put one hand on her heart, and her her mouth opened wide, and she couldn't even speak. And I was so moved by her response that I, I went back the next day, Matt, to ask her what was going on for her. And she said, you know, she was experiencing such a hard time at the holidays. She was estranged from her family. And she said this gave her hope that there was a reason to go on. And she also asked me for another card so she could give it to a, a coworker who gave her food at the end of the month when she ran out of food money. 
Oh, wow. So it just showed me, Matt, like we never know what other people are going through. So here's this woman who looked like a Santa elf. She was so chipper and so lovely, but inside she was in fairly dire circumstances and feeling very un, unfulfilled and, and alone. And so giving her this card from a perfect stranger let her know she's not alone, and she felt seen. She said she went home that night, and she said, quote, I had to cry myself to sleep, but she said it was a good cry, and she actually Googled us. She just said, where did this come from? And she found the You Matter Marathon and then signed up so she could get cards and give, give them to others. But that's just one example. Another example, we had, um, I told you, we're all over the world. So a woman in New Zealand partnered with her local pharmacy to have the caregivers of people who are in hospice when they get their prescriptions filled for their loved ones. The pharmacists were putting new matter cards in with the medicine so the caregivers who often are undervalued in our society would get a new matter card. I mean, crazy. We had somebody last week, it's on our Facebook page, put a new matter card on the Western Wall in Israel. Oh, wow. That's powerful. I mean, yeah. Powerful, powerful. And the, the card is white with black letters. It's as simple as possible. And so many people ask me, why don't you put the website on the back of the card? And here's why, Matt, because as soon as most people get a card, the first thing they do is turn it over instinctively. They're like, what's the catch? What are you selling? Yeah. What are you asking for? And it's only when they see there is no catch that their shoulders lower they take a breath, and then they can receive the message. It's complete. You matter, period. Man, that's cool. I mean, I imagine uh, a senior receiving their prescriptions, and they pull out you know, the receipt and the, all the other information that comes with it and a You Matter card and how that could just change a day. And maybe oh, motivate ma- motivate a call or motivate you know a little more spring in their step. How how amazing a thought is, huh? Amazing. This thought, it, it's not one that's articulated enough. And, and, and what I'm learning, Matt, is that just like when I, I received a card, that's how I found out about this. Somebody gave me a You Matter card, and it was almost like a question I didn't even know I had in my being was answered. It was like, it went right into my core. It went right into my heart. Like I felt so seen. And it was so different than the thank yous we give or have a good day. This message, it was like an intravenous drug. It was the best high ever. And this is why I felt so determined to want other people to have this experience. You used a beautiful word, Matt. I don't even know if you know how how right on it is. You said contagion. Mm. And we know, and, and positive psychologists have told us that positive emotions are contagious, just like a cold. So that spring in the step that you get from receiving a card, you pass on to others, whether you give them a card or not. So we know that positive emotions broaden and build our capacity for creativity, for intimacy, for all sorts of wonderful um, ways of, of, of fostering well-being in the world, even our physical health, you know, our optimism. So many things are impacted, and this costs nothing and it's portable and the effects can last a lifetime Mm. so i i i call it my happy habit and i will never give it up whether there's a marathon in the future or not and so many people i know are writing how can i get more cards can we do this beyond november 
can I give this card to my pet? You know, it's like <laughs> people are so moved. Yeah. They just want to share. And can your pet read? Um, so many well, questions. Most of our pets can. They know we love them. Yeah. And, and I say, give the card to a pet, any sentient being. Give it to a tree. Any anything that makes your life richer matters. Um, do, do you for do, sure? Do you sense, Cheryl? Uh, I mean, is it just as effective saying it as um, as the card, or does the card have even a different meaning? That's a great question, and I'm not sure there's one answer, Matt. I think. That's something for people to discover. I think the answer is sometimes it can be just as lovely and effective to, to say the words. I think what, what the card does is seem to make it safe for people to have a gesture, especially when confronting a stranger or somebody you don't have a relationship with, which takes some courage. So having a card kind of gives both people something safe to put their focus on, if you will. It's like kind of triangulates the interaction. Yeah. So it, and it also memorializes it. So people feel gifted, not just with the words, but with the evidence of the words. And something about seeing them in black and white, and then the cards are really nice. Like, we don't spare any expense. It's good card stock, well-printed. So they, they have a significance, just even the card itself. So I think it amplifies the power to give a card. But you know what? If you want to just, after you're done hearing this interview or doing this interview, just tell somebody next to you, you matter, and look them in the eye, I'm sure that will have a powerful effect, too. You bet. Um, powerful. I just signed up, by the way, Cheryl. I'm in. I'm in. Oh, I'm so delighted, Matt. I was going to ask you anyway because yeah. I, I'd send you cards for sure, but no, that's a gift. They're, that's a gift. They're on their way, and then we'll – yeah, I I just think – I think you're an angel. I think that's beautiful, <laughs> and I really appreciate the fact that you, you've, you've taught us so much about how to handle grief by – action and moving um and and, and actually I, I love the idea i call it arrows out by pointing your arrows out and serving other people but uh, cheryl rice you are a deal you are a, you're a you're the real deal and a life changer go check out the website folks you matter marathon.com you matter marathon.com and sign up to get the cards they're free of charge and then just start giving them to the people that matter in your life also like we talked about you can also look them in the eye and, uh, and tell them they matter as well. Interesting power, isn't it, that we all have to just spread goodness. We'll continue the journey, folks. Up next, a little more empty news for you. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Time to check in now with the empty news desk. Uh, empty meaning Matt Townsend News Deck. Many, many people think it's uh, empty meaning without anything in it. But no, it's got something in it. Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Well, thank you. Uh, does this music sound familiar to you at all? Yes. Um, enthusiasm. What's his name? <laughs> you Curb sighed. Your Enthusiasm. You Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry David, I love co-creator him. of Seinfeld. Uh, running for... Uh, Senate? No, he's a senator from Vermont, right? Well, that's Bernie Sanders, the oh, character that he the same frequently uh, spoofs. Anyway, he had an episode recently where his show was just revived for another season, and he had an episode where he honks at a cop who's stuck at a stop sign and not moving, and the cop gives him a ticket. 
Oh, right? Yeah. Sounds like a very Larry David thing to have happened to him, right? (laughs) So there's a St. Louis man who's feeling pretty, pretty, pretty miffed. That's Uh one of his catchphrases on the show. Over a recent traffic ticket uh, in an instance of life imitating art. In this case, a recent episode of HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm, computer programmer Scott Smith says he was ticketed for honking his horn at a police officer. Uh-oh. Smith told the St. Louis dispatch or post dispatch that he repeatedly honked at the officer in an unmarked car Friday because the light had turned green and the officer wasn't moving. He was pulled over and used his cell phone to record the heated exchange with the plainclothes officer who asked, Is your horn stuck? Smith replied, Is your brake stuck? Oh, boy. Smith was ticketed for excessive noise from a vehicle, (laughs) and he plans to file a complaint. Yeah, you better. So let's see. Does it... Why would you honk at a police officer? No, 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 no. You don't do that. You don't? No. I mean, unless you want to be tased. (laughs) I mean, and they won't always tase you. But what are you thinking? I, I guess some people just don't like cops. That's true. They just don't like Some them. people really don't. But, I mean, do don't. you honk at people when you're behind them no. and they're not going? No. Like, I, I honestly have to – they have to miss, like, two lights before I'm like, okay. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm mad for – I'm mad the whole time. My wife but I'm too big takes the approach of, well, that's what the horn's for. You got to get these people moving when they don't – you know, they're not moving right away. I'm more of the thinking of I'm using my horn to avoid an accident. That's about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. I won't even yeah. honk my horn at my no. wife if I'm waiting for her to come out. No. It's usually her honking at me. Cause you know I'm... what it is? The problem is you don't have teenagers yet. Not yet. When you have a teenager <laughs> and you pick them up and then they're like the whole drive home from whatever, they're complaining that why don't I have an iPhone 10 and Jimmy's dad gets him a car and I want a better car than that car. Then when they get out of your car and walk in front of it, when you drop them off at the house, then you use the horn. Oh, that's when. I thought you were saying you're in the car with them. They're voicing these complaints to you. Just won't be quiet. And so you just out of frustration are just like. Yeah, it's kind of that. Really? It's I use my horn the wrong way then. Apparently, it's just for traffic. It's not for deafening the children. Crazy stuff, folks. Uh, the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, we're going to have a little turkey tangent. Leanna Tan's going to go off on a turkey. Well, folks, it's coming. Thanksgiving is just one week from today to gear up for the holiday feast. Our producer, it's actually, yeah, one week from today. Holy cow, is it that soon? Uh, to gear up for the holiday feast, our producer, Leanna Tan, put together a little tangent to amuse us with six weird stories about turkeys. My mouth is watering just thinking about turkey, mashed potatoes, corn on the cob. I hope you're as excited about Thanksgiving as I am. To celebrate this great day of gratitude, dessert, and roasted fowls, I searched the internet for some amusing Thanksgiving stories. In honor of our beloved Thanksgiving masterpiece, here are six bizarre stories about turkeys. Number one. This is an experience from an ex-cop named Robert Kirby. He said one Thanksgiving day, he was dispatched to a call for sounds of gunshots. Apparently, there was a drunk guy who told his wife he was ready to eat, but she said he couldn't yet because the turkey was practically still alive. So, I guess he fired a 12-gauge into the oven to get the job done. 
Needless to say, he went to jail, and the cop went to the emergency room with a dislocated finger. Sounds like the wife must have had a pretty lonely Thanksgiving dinner with a side of birdshot. Number two. I didn't know turkeys could fly, but I guess wild turkeys can fly at speeds up to 55 miles per hour. They usually fly from treetop to treetop at an altitude of less than 100 feet, though. Sorry for the kind of morbid turn, but I read this in the Arkansas News, and it's pretty ridiculous. Apparently in Arkansas, they have an annual turkey trot festival, and there's a 50-year ritual called the Turkey Drop, where live turkeys are tossed from a plane over a nearby creek. Then people chase the turkeys and try to bring them back to the festival so they can show them off. During the turkey drop, though, the airplane is like 50 feet in the air, which means some turkeys don't make it. While the turkeys usually spread their wings and glide to a landing, some are apparently confused and try to flap their wings. Instead of floating, they fall. In last year's festival, two out of 12 reportedly died on impact. PETA is definitely after those guys. Number three. This could be the next Alfred Hitchcock movie. The turkeys. Get this. A woman in California posted on Facebook about a turkey invasion in her neighborhood. The news quickly picked it up. Apparently, an infestation of turkeys shows up at around dusk. They usually sleep in the trees, but one day her husband called to her and said, You've got to come see this. The turkeys are all over the cars. And sure enough, the tricky little fowls were damaging rooftops and cars. I guess she has claw marks on her cars, but the insurance won't pay for it because they say it's an act of nature. Number four. Have you ever heard the term turducken? I just learned it. I guess it's when you stick a chicken inside a duck inside a turkey and then roast it all together. Sounds kind of disturbing. But I guess some chefs in the Middle East are taking it up a notch. They've concocted what they call the camel turducken. This is where you stuff eggs inside a fish, stuffed inside a chicken, stuffed inside a sheep, stuffed inside a full-grown camel. And then it takes about 24 hours to cook the entire stuffed camel. Just when you thought they couldn't make Thanksgiving any weirder. Number five. Speaking of turducken, I found this funny Thanksgiving memory where a mom tricked her daughter. She told her daughter that she needed something from the store. When the daughter left, the mom took the turkey out of the oven, removed the stuffing, and stuffed a Cornish hen into the turkey instead. When the daughter came back and started carving the turkey for dinner, her fork ran into the little cooked hen. The mom said, You've cooked a pregnant bird! Her daughter was so horrified, she just started crying. Poor girl. Well, that's one way to traumatize your children. And number six. I just had to throw this one in there because I thought it was so odd. This guy wrote his Thanksgiving prank story on Reddit. When he was a kid, he went to a farm for Thanksgiving, and they slaughtered his turkey. They cut off the feet, and the kid took them and put them inside his sweater sleeves and held them as if they were his new little reptilian hands. So disturbing. His mom was laying on the couch just innocently taking a nap, so he sneaked up to her and creepily touched her cheek with his new creepy little hands. She screamed and freaked out so badly that she ended up flipping over the edge of the couch, and his family had to come to her rescue to calm her down. Yikes. I hope none of you have demonic children like that, or prankster mothers for that matter. May your turduckins ever be fully cooked, and your rooftops be free of wild fowls. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Hey, it's Thursday. Yeah, one week from Thanksgiving. And uh, this is the show where we try to give you a leg up in life. Hopefully a little head start and a little pick me up. News and life doesn't have to be so boring and dull. It can also be fun, but it can also be uh, informative for you and your family. That's that's why we do the show. Along for the ride, Jeffrey Liam Simpson and Terry South. Jeffrey uh, is on the keyboard today. I'll be doing vocals and Terry on the bass. I gave, and yet I gave you a chance earlier to really belt out your best Yahoo, and you wouldn't do it. Well, I think because no one's more Yahoo than you. I think I thought it was because you weren't getting paid. Yeah, I don't, I don't get yeah. paid to do that. Okay. I'm here more for my looks, I've found out. That's what I'm hearing from upstairs. They say I have a face for radio. Which I, I think is wonderful. We got uh, we got a lot to cover. T- what does that mean? Why would you go there, barnyard? You went to the barnyard. <laughs> I don't know why, but that just reminded me of my childhood. <laughs> you milk a lot of cows? Nope, I didn't, and I uh, didn't even have a cow near me. But well, it just reminded me of the a, good old days. You had a cow in you many, many times. Many times. Uh, today we're going to be um, talking about uh, how to redirect or change the stories that you're living by. Everybody has a story to tell and a story to live. But if you're not careful, you may live a story that you didn't even intentionally write, like that you're no good at something or that you're not very smart or that you're way smart when you really aren't. <laughs> You got to watch the story you live by because it's going to set you up for a lot of problems. Um, So we'll be talking about that, revisiting an interview we did a a few months ago on that. Plus, by the way, celebrating Fast Food Day. One of the greatest days, I think, of all time. Terry shakes his head no because Terry is healthy. Except he eats the same taco salad every single day. And it's not fast. It's definitely food, but not fast. Yeah, it's slow food, we call mm, it. It's slow food. It's the best kind of food. Ooh, it's like a shake. I just, I just had a shake the other day from a place that literally I think I strained my throat, trying to, my uh, esophagus trying to get the shake material up the straw. Really? It was thick. It was so thick. In fact, to this day, I, my, I, it probably means I need to work out more. I think it. I think you're the only person that's successfully been able to suck a strawberry through a straw. Yeah, yeah, and I'm proud of that. Yeah, when you're doing that, it's a little too rigorous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been able to. I've always had a really strong suction. It's, <laughs> it's just something. Just letting you in on me, letting you know a little bit more about Dr. Matt. Um, we'll be covering that. Speaking of, uh, you know, special talents, um, we've got a lot of news, a lot of headlines we can get to. Uh, some interesting news I did not under, I didn't know was even happening, but apparently 71% of employees in the country are looking for new jobs. 71%. Are you kidding me? So that's seven out of 10 of our team are looking for a new job. You know, I never really know what you're looking at on your laptop. There, are you? Yeah. Are you on uh, Indeed or I don't? What are those other sites? Monster. 
Monster. Yeah, I am. LinkedIn. By the way, I even to this day, and I've admitted this a million times, I still look at like want ads. I still need to know that I'm wanted. No, I'm not. I don't mean that to be funny. Our timing's way off because none of those are jokes. It's just I just I just need to know I'm valuable. Okay, well, this isn't working, so let's get to the <laughs> headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? So a woman who worked at the Gladstone Mall in Alabama, oh, yeah. 1977, told the Washington Post Wednesday that Roy Moore, the Republican candidate in Alabama, repeatedly asked her out on dates, and when she refused to give him her phone number, he called the high school senior while she was in class at Gladstone High School. Glenna Richardson said her father was a Southern Baptist preacher, and she told Moore then, he was 30 years old and an attorney, that he would not approve, that her father would not approve of her handing out the phone number. Oh, boy. A few days later, she was sitting in class when the principal's office alerted her to a phone call in the office. Glenna, you have a phone call in the office? She says, I said, hello, Richardson told the Post, and the mail on the other end said, Glenna, this is Roy Moore. I was like, what? He said, what are you doing? I'm in trig class. He asked her out on a date during the call, and again when he saw her at Sears a few days later, wow. the Post spoke of with more than a dozen people who either worked at the Gladstone Mall or spent a lot of time there, and several of the former employees said they were warned to watch out for more. I don't want more! Um, so <laughs> so you're, you're sitting in trig class. Yeah, I left out the, there's some parts here we don't need to get into, but she goes into, you know, he... There was some touching. There were some other things that happened. So, oh yeah, yeah. And um, but so, Mister Moore yes. calls the school. Yes, uh, I'd like to talk to Glenn Glenna. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, are you her father? Uh, kinda. I know her father. <laughs> or did he say I'm the district attorney? Yeah. How, how do mm. you present that? How? Or do you just act like, hey, I'm just I'm just looking for Glenna. Why on earth would the district attorney be calling a high school student? How can anybody just call a high school and say, I'd like to speak to a specific student? And the office well, yeah. go, hold on a you second. You have to either have authority they're not, they're or... They're not your personal answering service, no. the office, right? Oh, so yeah. I'm just looking I'm just looking to ask Glenna out. Um, it's such a can you weird get her out story. of trick class? That's, I always love those movies where bad guys are looking for somebody and they go to their hotel and they're like, yeah, what hotel room is so-and-so? Oh, yeah, they're up on the fourth floor, room 27. <laughs> if the door doesn't open, try the window. Yeah, how about this extra pair of keys? <laughs> Unbelievable. Nuts. In other news, the Trump administration is reversing an Obama administration ban on bringing to the United States the heads of elephants killed in two African countries. Hmm? The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said it has determined that hunting African elephants in Zimbabwe and Zambia will enhance the survival of the species in the wild, which is a standard by which officials judge whether to allow imports of parts, known as trophies, of the animals. The decision, cheered by some hunting and gun rights groups, is a reversal of the policy under the Obama administration. The United States and international authorities say the African elephant is a threatened species, and the Obama administration argued that allowing trophy imports would harm the animal by encouraging people to kill them. Hold on. Do you remember? I think that was signed around the time that a dentist from Iowa or something... Possibly, yes. ...like poached or illegally shot... Uh, a lion, or, but like yeah. a, a national favorite lion. Yeah, 
as this trophy, and then they pass these laws or whatever. Well, they've been reversed. Hmm. I, but what? In other news, have you seen the Instagram of uh, Trump Jr. and Eric Jr. holding up their trophies? Yeah. That's, I mean. Not saying, but. but it seems like he's targeting a, a certain audience. See, yeah. these people feel like they need a trophy. Why don't they just go to the trophy store and they can write whatever they want on there? Aren't World's you... greatest guy. Yeah. NRA on board with that, just so you know. Well, our, it seems like a lot of trophies. I mean, you got Roy Moore Peta, not so shopping the mall for trophy. Yeah. You got Trump re, <sighs> reclassifying animal trophies. As I mean, being these legal. are elephants, right? Yeah. So, wow. Which are endangered, but you know, it'll it'll help to to help them survive in the wild. Man, I didn't see him as a big hunter. His boys are not him. I I saw the picture of them, and I didn't even see them as really big hunters. Right. Okay. The weirdest things go on in Manhattan. It's crazy. Another 14 lawsuits have been filed from people seeking damages in connection to the mass shooting October 1st at the country music concert in Las Vegas, which 58 people died and more than 500 were injured. The complaints filed in Clark County on Wednesday alleged that Mandalay Bay, the hotel from which the gunman fired in the cro- into the crowd, did not adequately train its security staff and did not have a plan for what to do in an active shooter situation. Additionally, the plaintiffs want to know why there were no security cameras in place on the 32nd floor from where the shooter, his room was located. The suit also claims that Live Nation Entertainment, the festival organizer, did not train employees to, uh, properly on what to do in an emergency and did not have clearly marked exits and, uh, and alleges that uh, Slide Fire Solutions, the manufacturer of the bump stock devices used in the gun- by the gunman to fire faster into the crowd, sells its products without any reasonable measures or safeguards and which the killer used to uh, such horrifying ends. Mm. So you got people from Nevada, California, Illinois, and concert goers, and at least one employee who worked the festival that are all involved in these lawsuits. Wow. My question is, can you possibly plan for that situation? No. Someone's going to get a high-rise building and start firing out the window. Yeah, no. And the the crazy thing about it, um, I mean, this wasn't the 18-foot wall between us and... New Mexico or Mexico, right? These these were just little fences that, but nobody, I guess, knew where to run. So they all yeah. ran to the entrance as they came in, and they really could have run anywhere. There's other, there were other exits. They, they really could have run in any direction. Yeah. But that's the scary. Yeah, you can't prepare for this. I don't know how you can train people. In, I mean, there's an active shooter, but you would think they'd be in no. the venue, not across the street and 32 floors up. Yeah. It seems like the answer of the problem wasn't the venue. The answer was the bump stock. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the most of the obvious answers, answers yeah. that seems like if you fix that, that might fix future rapid fire incidents. Possibly. Not just fix all the exits in the world. Right. I mean, what do I know? I don't know. It just seems... But I am a doctor. I'm not... Yeah. Uh, when's the last time you used a payphone? What's that? Yeah, I know. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've used one in 10 years. Right. I actually use one every single day. It's called my cell phone. I pay for it. No, that's different. Oh. Um, Don just walked in. Are you concerned? He's got that look. He doesn't like that we're talking bad about payphones. He's got an apple. <gasps> What's the apple? Is font? that your care, Graham? The thankful Graham? I got an apple. Don, what's the apple for? 
it's celebrating fast food day. I knew you liked fast oh, like apples and That is the biggest apple and... I've ever seen. That's the tallest like, apple I've ever seen. I think it's a pumpkin. I got that for you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a holiday apple. And a card. Yeah. Did you? Where have you been all my life? I just wanted to tell oh. you. You know. <gasps> Don, it's not just an apple. It's a thank you note with a smudge on it. It's a thank you note from our earlier hour. Yes. He's saying thank you. My alarm's going off for some reason. <laughs> Don, the, thanks. It's a gratitude alarm. Oh. I want you to know that that card is a do-it-yourself card. You notice on the message on the front. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you from, from the, the bottom, bottom of, of my... my... And you can fill in the applicable bodily organ. That's... You said heart, which I'm very great. Don, thank you. From and, the bottom of oh. his... We love From Don. the bottom of his grankles. <laughs> Don't bring up the grankles now. <laughs> I've got an apple. Thanks, Don. Don's trying to keep me healthy, too. Do, do you realize those, so are, nice. those are both just upstairs in the HR office? Oh. So, oh, come on. But... Really? You know I mean? He went up and down the stairs like 20 times. I watched him, yeah. Really? That so makes it maybe more... Maybe you guys got one. Maybe. Mm. Maybe I should get you guys one. I do want to say thanks to you guys. Mm. But I won't. No, I do. I'm going to say it. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate it. For being the Terry you are. Mm. Thank you, Jeffrey, for growing your beard out. For Jeffing it up. Good job. And you realize I'm trying to go be under the radar. You're trying to hide your facial hair. I'm, that's why I'm behind the mic. Yeah, yeah. Boss walks in. I zipped oh, up my coat I during have to the tie meeting. My shoe. Yeah. The, the people may not know that at BYU there is a there's an a dress code where you you're not supposed to have beards. Yeah. That's why I didn't make any comments during the meeting. Even yesterday. even for employees, you're not supposed to have beards. But Jeff's growing a beard because he's going to be gone for a long time, and uh, his family they. They don't know. They don't recognize him anyway. So he wants to have a beard. When nice. have a head start? A week long head start. What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. Mm. I think it's super cool. You guys, you're great. Couldn't do the show without you. I mean, literally, I couldn't do the show <laughs> without you. And thank you, Don. Don's a great boss, by the way. And just got a hug from my boss. How often do you get hugged from your boss? And not have to sit through a sexual harassment training Ask. following that. Yeah. more. Oh, that's sad. Uh, okay, I don't even know where we go. What was I talking about? Well, you were going to bring something up, right? I was talking that. about payphones. Oh yeah, I haven't had a. I mean, are they still around? They are. Where? I don't even know if I've seen a payphone. Certain places, like, you'll find them. Like right now, could you think of a outside payphone? of prison? Yeah, there's always one. <laughs> <laughs> I need a car right at the end of that walkway. But can you right now think of a payphone where you could go right now and get a payphone? I can't either. It's probably at a gas station, but even then, I don't know. Yeah, but... Oh, funny thing. We just watched Back to the Future Part 2 last night, and somebody said, hey, look, it's a payphone in 2015. So, Are you yeah, serious? Not hmm. realistic at all. That's about the only thing they got right. And the hoverboard. <laughs> and the hoverboard, of course. Um, okay, what I, about payphones? To get home from school after uh, wrestling practice mm-hmm. in high school, every day, use the payphone to call my mom. Oh, yeah. You had a quarter a day... Or whatever it was. A dime, yeah, probably. Probably. Maybe. And you just put it in, make a phone call. Mom shows up 15 minutes later because it takes forever to drive down the road. <clears throat> Not criticizing my mom 30 years later, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> most people now have a cell phone, so you may wonder who still uses the, as it says, rusted quarter-eating boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As it turns out, a lot of people do. According to the Canadian Radio Television and Telecommunications Corporation, 
their 2017 monitoring report. Oh, great. Payphones in Canada made $22 million Canadian dollars. Yeah, so that's like $10. That's $10 US. American. Yeah. Eh, it's not that far <laughs> off. Um, it says that spread out among nearly 60,000 payphones in the country, which wow. made roughly $300 per phone over the course of the year, which means it's at least a few calls per day for every single box. Wow. The U.S. numbers are similar. The FCC reports that in 2015, payphones made $286 million, which is comparable for a population 10 times the size of Canada. And yet, you may not know where a payphone is. Maybe there's more in Canada than in the U.S. Maybe, but $286 million off payphones? It's tough to find a payphone that doesn't have a piece of tumbleweed flying by. Look, here's the deal. I know a way you can make a lot of money. (laughs) What is it in cellular? No, it's in payphones. <laughs> would you buy in? Would you buy into that? Because they're going to be out there for about another twenty years, right? There's still going to be somebody that looks like, where's a payphone? Right. Hmm. Like what was the? There's an iconic scene on the TV show Miami Vice. Hold right? on, I know you're going. Phil, there. Phil Collins. He, oh, he yeah. debuted. Uh, what's the? Something in the night, whatever that. Yeah, yeah, name yeah. Is Strangers that in the night. No, it's Phil Collins. I can hear there you go, coming in the night. So in the tonight. that song. So he debuted that oh, song yeah. on Miami Vice, right? Yeah. And so the scene is him and his partner. They're gonna go take down the drug dealers. You know, like they always. That was like every show. But that's yeah. what they were doing. And he like stops to make a phone call. He walks over to the payphone and talks to his girlfriend, wife, whoever. But talks about whatever issue is eating at him before he goes and takes out the cartel. So, but the whole thing, he like stops, gets on a payphone, and then gets back in the convertible and drives around in his pastel colors. Oh, yeah. But that was like part of that. And then there's just old shows from the, no, the 80s where they're they're running to do something and they stop and make a phone call. Or yeah. the cop gets a page and he has to pull over and call the hey, office. And, uh, the Rockford Files guy, he never made a call. He just, they just, he just drived every place. Yeah. Because you had to have the cool California drive. Scene. James Garner. James Garner. He would just show up. Hey, is Billy here? Yeah, he's in the back hurting someone. And then he'd go back there and solve a crime. Never made a call. Or Never. there's or there's the scene in the Chevy Chase film Funny Farm where they move into their new home, try to use their phone, but they can't convince the phone company that it's actually a landline and not a payphone. So he, there's a scene with him throwing a couple of coins in a jar to make it sound like he's <laughs> dropping in money to make a call. And they're like, nice try. See, Jeffrey, this is the point. Hmm. Hmm? You can remember that story. Yeah. And the lines. Mm-hmm. But you can't remember other things. Such as? Names of your children. I frequently mix up their names. See? Well, I mean. And there are only, I mean, there are only two girls. Yeah. So. And they're both named Candace. I mean, I have a boy, but there's no other boy to confuse his name with. I know I know your kids' names better than right. you do. No, you my mother had Candace, three. Candace, and Sloss. My mother had three kids, two boys and a girl, and got us all confused constantly. So I was consistently called uh, by my father's name. What was his name? After, you know, all the other names were rattled off first. Me, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a junior, but still. Yeah. <laughs> but you share the same name. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Ah, good times. Well, guess what? Up next, we're going to teach you how to change your story. you got to change the story you live by, because if you're not telling the accurate story, then you're probably going to end up with a life you didn't want. 
straight ahead. Story time. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Everybody, don't worry. We're almost to the weekend. You know, by Thursday, I know it can feel like the world is crashing down on you. You're running out of energy. Everyone has their own trials that they have to work through every day, getting through their depressions for some, overcoming traumas, working out family problems, making difficult decisions, you name it. And, you know, have you ever felt like you're not uh, getting, uh, you know, any help or any organized help from all those uh, videos and books you're reading? So a few months ago, I spoke with a renowned psychologist, Timothy Wilson, about his book, Redirect, Changing the Stories We Live By. He teaches us how to begin overcoming these life difficulties by managing our very own thinking. I begin the interview by asking what he means by changing the stories we live by. One reason people... Uh, can be unhappy or get themselves into trouble is their thinking patterns, the kinds of stories they've developed that about themselves and, and their environment that might be too pessimistic or they just kind of get stuck in a negative uh, thinking pattern. And, uh, you know, sometimes this becomes really serious and, and um, needs a big intervention like psychotherapy, and, and I think that's great for people who, who need it. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like taking our car into the shop. Sometimes it needs a major overhaul, and sometimes we just need a little tune-up. And, yeah. and uh, psychologists have come up with these other techniques that are more of the tune-up variety. <laughs> right. And I guess this could be any thought, right? One thought. Give, uh, give me an example of a thought that just or, or a story that I keep telling myself that, that really impacts me psychologically. Sure. Well, you know, I'm a college professor, so I'll, I'll give a student uh, an example of, of college students. Yeah. That, uh, you know, imagine a, a first-year college student. They're, they've taken their first test, and uh, they did really well in high school, but suddenly they get a bad grade, and, and it's that first calculus test or whatever. And uh, a real key as to what happens next is what story that student tells him or herself about why they got that bad grade. So, on the one hand, the student might say, oh, man, this, this confirms my worst fears. You know, I just, I'm not cut out for college. I, I'm one of those admissions errors. I shouldn't be here. And that's going to have some really bad effects down the road. The, the story itself will lead to giving up and not studying for the next test. Right. You know, but what if the student says instead, um, gosh, this is a wake-up call. I need to learn better study habits. I should go see the professor. Yeah, that's a much more um, adaptive story that can lead to better outcomes down the road. And this could be anything. We could carry it in life that the story that I'm not smart. Um, I, I told a story or I, I came across a story that I created early in life that I don't do math. Yeah. And even, but the funny thing was the data showed that I did. And I, yeah, and I did yeah. it fast and I did it well, but I didn't do it like other people or I didn't do it you know, at a high enough level that it impacted me. That's a great example, Matt, and, and I think it's a very common one. You know, it's always struck me as to why many of us are prone to conclude that about ourselves. I mean, how many people have you heard say, you know, I'm just not a word person? Right. Uh, you know, we don't say that. We say, well, I need to work on my skills. And, um, you know, just that very explanation or that very label we give ourselves can be really damaging. Why do we do it? Why do we tell these stories 
Um, and maybe some of them we don't tell. Some of them maybe have been told to us. Well, exactly. And some of them, the culture teaches us. There are all sorts of stereotypes out there, like that women can't do math or you know, this particular group isn't smart. And it's easy for us to have that get under our skin if we, if we grow up in a culture. Um, you know, they can be rooted in our family background and in, um, in the way our parents uh, raised us. Uh, but I think a common misconception is that they can't be changed, that because they are perhaps rooted in, in our upbringing that, that uh, they're indelible. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think with a little work, they, they can be changed. Um, in fact, my, my, my story of not doing math even became a story of my family. We aren't math people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So then it was like institutionalized to my family. Um, but I guess... Part part of this is if I buy the story, if I never look at the story I tell, then I'm stuck in it. Yes, yes, uh, and I think that's that's right. And and uh, and you know sometimes we even have to dig a little deep to to see what the story is. Sometimes it's just basic assumptions we're making that we've never really questioned and or made explicit, and and just kind of. Um, you know, digging in there a little bit to see what our story is, is is a start. Yeah. I always thought that a story was basically a thought formalized. Is, um, is, is that is that an inappropriate way to look at it? Like yeah, it's because it's um, if we keep telling well, the same you know, story, we keep telling the same thought. Sure. I mean, if by formalized you mean, you know, we repeat it to ourselves a lot. Yeah. Um, it's kind of our default that we go to when something happens to us, then, then sure. But it's thinking, isn't it? And I guess this is all then about learning how to rethink your thinking. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, uh, you know, there, there's been some cool techniques developed. Um, some are delivered by um, the people around us. So, you know, one reason I bring up the college student example is because we did a study several years ago where we tried to change those stories in, in students who were struggling. And and it was really simple. We, we brought in um, students uh, who were in their first year of college and not doing so well. And we simply gave them the message that, you know, lots of people struggle at first. Uh, they watched some videotaped interviews of older students who said, yeah, you know, I, I really got some bad grades my first semester, but I'm doing just fine now. Hmm. And, you know, that little message that it isn't just me, it's it's maybe the situation that I, and I can deal with it, um, had a pretty dramatic effect. The, the people who got that message compared to a group that didn't, um, had better grades a year after our studies. So sometimes it doesn't take much to just nudge people into a better way of thinking about their situation. So I guess I guess one – what I heard there was being more specific. So it's a specific versus a general statement. I, I didn't do so well on this test versus – I'm oh, my heavens, I'm not doing well at all. Yes. No, that's really a, a good point that um, – you know, it's easy for us to jump to the general conclusion sometimes and important to say, no, this is one bad grade in one context and let's see what we can do to make it better. Yeah. What's another technique that we can use to, to strengthen our story? Well, um, there's a phrase that we psychologists like called do good, be good. And the idea is that sometimes if you want to change what's inside your head, actually changing your outward behavior first is a good first step. So um, if we want to be more helpful people, then 
doing some volunteer work or if we want to improve a relationship, um, acting in a nicer way towards our partners. Um, the, you know, this isn't going to cause dramatic change immediately, but, but just changing what we do, often our stories follow from that. Uh, there's, there's a famous study that was done with high school students um, that actually got them to engage in volunteer work in their communities for a year. And the students got to change, got to choose um, you know, whether they worked in a daycare center or an old folks home or whatever. And it was fascinating. You know, just that volunteer work changed their views of themselves. They began to see themselves as more engaged in their community, as, as people who care about others. And the ones who were in that program um, got better grades. Um, the girls in the program were less likely to get pregnant. It was actually a very mm. good anti-pregnancy program. <laughs> interesting. Isn't that interesting? And it's um, – we've heard – do you know who Amy Cuddy is? Yes. And yes. so, I mean, Amy Cuddy talks a lot about just your – just, you know, assuming the Superman pose or the Wonder Woman pose, like whatever the pose is, just your body changing and taking a different position changes maybe the story you would tell. Yes, yes. Uh, we, uh, we, we're very good observers of ourselves, and, and we're, we're, you know, not necessarily consciously, but we're, we're seeing what we're doing and making note of it all the time. And, you know, what position our body is in or what we're actually doing is, is a key to changing those stories. But, you know, there are other ways, too. And, and there's, a, there's a variety of writing exercises that have been developed and that can be very helpful if people... You know, there's some kind of problem that's been preying on us. We haven't been able to get over some episode in our life. Just taking out a piece of paper and writing about it, say, for 10 minutes uh, a night, three or four nights in a row, and trying to be really open about our feelings. Um, it's interesting. It's not easy to do. When, when you ask people to do that, they often, um, you know, they're writing often about fairly traumatic things, and, mm -hmm. and um, it's hard. But if we can make ourselves do it, it leads to story change. People begin to view the event differently, maybe come up with a different explanation um, in ways that allows them to move on. And this is research by a psychologist named James Pennebaker that's been replicated dozens of times and is, is really, really helpful. I guess part of that is because you are, you are the author. Yeah. You might put yourself in the role of the author. I'm writing it, but I might also see that I could write it another way. Yes, yes. In fact, some, you know, some recent studies show that one way to kind of kickstart that is to write from the third-person perspective. So try to um, uh, imagine you're someone else looking at your situation and how an outside observer would see it. it it kind of makes us a little more objective and hmm. maybe just sees ourselves, you know, puts it in a different light that, that can be helpful. Oh, that I love that. Um, it really is, I guess, how we, how we share this concept, this identity of who we are. We, we all have a story inside of us, and a lot of times, apparently, Dr. Wilson, the story is not necessarily accurate. Well, um, I would say that it's it just doesn't serve us well that that regardless of how accurate it is it can be self-defeating if if it leads us to be too pessimistic about ourselves or uh as we were saying to label ourselves as not a math person when in fact we we could do quite well right and and i, I guess uh framing it in an absolute or a that or a generalization i guess the the deal with it is is it's um 
it ends up then creating a negative feeling. Is that what happens? The, the stories then, if they're not complete, they end up creating kind of – they overwhelm us. Is that what happens? Well, that can lead to self-defeating patterns of behavior. So, you know, if I label myself as, as not a math person, um, I'm not going to try as hard. I'm, I'm not going to sign up for, for more difficult math courses. Um, you know, I, I hit a difficult problem in my homework. I'm more apt to give up. Um, where, and, and so that will confirm my original uh, conception of myself. Mm. Um, you know, work by Carol Dweck talks about these ideas of, about our own intelligence, that some people have what she calls a fixed mindset, the idea that intelligence is a thing we we're born with and there's a certain amount of it in our tank, sort of like gas in a car, and, uh, you know, we have it or we don't. And that can be really unhealthy because a lot of times in life, things, it's effort and perseverance that matter. And if you have the fixed mindset, if, if things go wrong, you know, you're having trouble with that math problem, the logical conclusion is, oh, I guess I, I don't have it. Yeah. Uh, so, so why try? Uh, so she advocates what she calls a growth mindset, which is the idea that the brain's like a muscle and, and we need to exercise it and it gets stronger and and uh, seeking the right kind of help and, and trying hard is, is the way to accomplish things, not just by assuming we're smart or not. Well, I guess that's every thought we have could could impact us in some way or another. Just the thought like a growth mindset that this, you know, life should be hard. That yeah. versus life should be easy. Just there's so many assumptions we make and a lot of them we never, ever evaluate. No, it's true. And, and, you know, I think it's also true of our relationships that sometimes we go into marriage, say, with the idea that, um, you know, this is going to be perfect. I found the one and, and it's a rosy future from here on in. And and that's hardly ever true. Right. Know, any any marriage has bumps and, and getting used to each other. And and uh, <laughs> I was listening to an interview recently of a fellow who's written a book about this, and he said on on his 10th wedding anniversary, his wife dressed all in black, and he asked her why, and he, she said, I'm having a funeral for all my hopes that have died. <laughs> and, but, but they're still married. And, you know, and I, I think it's you know, realizing that marriage takes some work like anything else is, is, is a healthy way to approach it. Is there – at what point can I influence and help other people evaluate their – thinking and their storytelling, I guess, without becoming intrusive? Well, certainly as parents, we can. I, I think one of our, our job as parents is to shape our kids' stories and and to make sure or to try our best to, that they don't develop these fixed mindsets about themselves, that they, they think they, they can accomplish things uh, more through effort and, and less with just these fixed abilities. Um, not that fixed abilities don't matter, of course. Not all of us can be major league baseball players or, you know, in the Olympics. But, but a lot of times we have more potential than, than we realize. Um, and I think in relationships, um, uh, not jumping to conclusions about each other. And, and um, um, you know, there's one study that found that just asking married couples to write about their conflicts, again, from a third-person perspective, to 
think about how an outside person might view their conflicts um, was very helpful. It, it allows them to be a little more rational about what was going on and and increase their satisfaction with their with their marriage. Hmm. I see that uh, I coach couples on their communication, and that's what we have them do. We don't have them write it out. We have them try to see it as an outside party and just point out the data versus interpretation of the conversation. And it's fascinating when they start looking at it as an outsider and just uh-huh. the, and the patterns of it. Yeah, that's great. It becomes that's less great. offensive, right? Because it's, oh, look what we are doing. Look what, look what is happening there, I mean, versus the you said and he said and she said. Right. And, um, as we wrap this up, what what advice would you give us uh, to begin? If, if we wanted to immediately like be able to take this home today and and start redirecting some of our thinking, what what's one activity I could do tonight? Well, I'll, I'll suggest two. One is yeah. the writing exercise. So you know, take out that piece of paper and um, write about some area of your life that you're unhappy with. Um, maybe from that third-person perspective of of uh, how an outside observer would view the situation, and do that maybe a couple of nights in a row, and just see if it leads to a, a new interpretation that works better for you. Hmm. Uh, but the other is that do good, do good is you know often the best way to start is to change our behavior little bits at a time, uh, doing that volunteer work, being being nicer to someone we're having conflict with. And good things can can result from that. And just and get started. Don't you don't have to wait. Right. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate you. Great insights, Dr. Timothy Wilson. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate it. You bet. The book is Redirect: Changing the Stories We Live By. Go check it out. It's a wonderful read and a great insight into how to, I think, take your life back, become the author of your life again. Powerful insight. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, folks, that is the music, which means it's time to go to Two of the biggest consumers of fast food as we celebrate Fast Food Day, Spencer and Jerem, also the hosts of BYU Sports Nation, which is a show you'll want to consume. It's fast and it's foodie. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Hi. How you guys doing? Uh, fantastic, because BYU basketball picked up a big-time resume-building win, and nice. so in very <gasps> unusual fashion. With Princeton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> they shut down the Tigers. <laughs> they took away their boats and their rows. <laughs> <laughs> Boney Fuller uh, sent out a tweet at halftime that had some well-dressed gentlemen with some champagne and said, Princeton's halftime snacks with the light and light refreshments, top hats and everything. <laughs> light refreshments will be served. Bring your monocle. Um, so what are you? So that's a huge win, right? That was that was a really nice win. It's a big win for a lot of reasons. Yeah, why? BYU didn't shoot the ball particularly well. It's a tough place to play. They go two time zones away. Only score sixty five points. They're really so- smart. To win that game yeah. with defense and free throws was an enormous confidence builder for this team. BYU hmm. won with defense, Matt. Defense! The, what? So, are they, are they starting that now? BYU has a philosophical change 
uh, with cool. the addition of Heath Schroyer. It's it's different, uh, and I think it's more suited based on what Dave Rose and Heath Schroyer have said. More suited to the needs BYU has in the league they're in. They had an offense and a defense that worked in a different time, right? And and now they've updated that and brought in kind of new schemes, new life, new energy. And BYU made 25, 27 free throws. Wow. And Elijah Bryant was um, awesome. And BYU got a nice, nice win on the road. Is it going to get BYU into the NCAA tournament? No, but it might be the third through sixth game mentioned in the resume there, which is nice. It yeah. is a resume-building win for sure. You, you can always build the resume. Do it. Do it. That's great news. Um, do you think it's – is there any connection to uh, the football team now having big defense and big offense simultaneously? Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying that. Yeah. However, yeah. the feeling on campus overall because of basketball's quick start mm-hmm. and football with Joe Critchlow beating UNLV is way higher than it has been all fall. Yeah. I mean, that, the feeling is high. It's good. Yeah, it's really good. You can feel there's a different spring in everyone's step. I think that might be the Thanksgiving break, though. Oh, that factors into it, too. Yeah, I'm not sure, but a lot of them are talking more about turkey than yeah, football. They, well, that's when you know. <laughs> that's when you know. It's about the, when it's, you know, you know. It's about the after church linger longer. Once they're talking more about that, then you know it's maybe there's a problem with football. The only time I wanted to go to the linger longer and actually eat, yeah, was uh, if I was fasting. Yeah. Um, other than that, it was you go to you go to meet girls, right? That's right. You go to linger. <laughs> BYU, the land of milk and honeys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, you guys, you just make me laugh. We used to say that on my mission in Korea. You did. How does it yeah. sound in Korean? Well, when we get back to the land of milk and honeys. <laughs> <laughs> could, can you, could you string that together for us in Korean? Ooh. Uh, man. I know I'm, I'm testing to, you big time. I'm trying to think. They have slang. Like I could say it in the slang because it doesn't directly translate. Yeah, but sometimes slang is like totally inappropriate. <laughs> yes. Watch out for that. Yes, indeed. Give me a second to think on yeah, yeah, that, Matt. Yeah, yeah, And you, if you want to do a Braz- uh, a Portuguese uh, version, that would be great as well, Jeremy. Yeah, I don't know. Either. Yeah, you don't understand. Hey, I uh, speak church Portuguese. I do too. I know the name of the church and every scripture. There you go. I like, uh, yeah, like two Corinthians. Um, what about? <laughs> what do you think? It's fast food day, Jeremy. What what establishment will you be celebrating today? Oh, maybe I'll celebrate this. I love Taco Bell. Mm. Love it too. Gift from heaven. Uh, Spencer? You yes, still... I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, I think I have it. Okay, let's go. This is uh, the land of milk and, and yes. honeys. Yeah. <laughs> what that translates to is, when we return to the land where the water is good, things will be good. <laughs> yeah. Not quite the same. Not, not but even okay. close. <laughs> but it felt, you know what? I think it, it felt right. Yes, because when you say the water is good, that means the girls are really pretty. Yeah. Oh, is that what that means? Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll say it in Portuguese. Okay. A teja do leche e dos das cachinhas. Ooh. <laughs> Last part I said, in the hotties. Yeah. Yeah, you actually, yeah, you sounded, you sounded more like you needed a police escort off campus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, you kind of sound. That's, like that's that. a timely one given earlier in the week news. If you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I totally oh, do. Okay. Hey, oh, okay. 
Hey, okay, quickly update. Don't associate me with that. <laughs> no, Come no. On. But however, you did match the description. Okay. Oh, boom. No, but seriously, folks. So, um, what what's going on on the show? You guys doing the show still? So what's yeah. uh, Well, we what's alluded to what BYU basketball did. Yeah. We're going to discuss a little bit more about what we learned. What do we think we know after a few exhibitions and two regular season games? Okay. That's and good. And what specifically did we learn last night? Well, defense. Defense. That's, that's one of the things. Defense. We have a Super Bowl champion on our show as well. Did you have a Super Bowl champion on your show today, Matt? Uh, two, actually. Weird to stay. Weird to stay. Well, well. Looks like we need to just give up. We had Brian three Billick. Super Bowl watchers. Exactly. Brian Billick will preview the matchup with UMass. BYU's penultimate game, oh, last cool. home game. Yeah. I love that word so much. I do too. That's a great word. Penultimate. Mm-hmm. I learned that in Portuguese on my mission, then I'd use it when I came home. People were like, what? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, then we'll also have uh, Ed Eyestone from Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville. where the men's yeah. cross-country team is ranked second. They're going for a national championship. Oh, that's a big deal. On Saturday, they're trying to take down the Lumberjacks of Northern Arizona Ooh. for the national title. Plus, we'll play a little What's the Chance. Yeah, what's the chance BYU wins a national championship this weekend? There are more than one sport involved in this. It's, it's so hard to catch a Lumberjack, though. It is so hard to catch a Lumberjack. Once they get running, you know, then they just lean into that plaid in their boots. Bada-boom, bada-boom. Uh, great stuff, guys. Have a great show. Knock them dead. Spencer and Jerem are their names. BYU Sports Nation is the game, and they'll be up in about uh, four minutes or so. Four minutes. Hey, as you know, we like to always end with a hero story. Yeah, right, Jeff? Jeff just fell off his seat. Uh, here's the story. This is all about that shooting uh, when a gunman opened fire on a school in California. Listen to what happened. Uh, on Tuesday morning at the Rancho Tehama, Tehama Elementary School in Northern California, a gunshot Tuesday morning shattered the daily ritual. Those in the main office heard two more shots apparently coming from near the campus. The school immediately went into lockdown. Teachers and staff members hurried the children into classrooms and the office. Their quick thinking with only seconds to spare and reinforced by numerous previous drills averted disaster when a gunman opened fire on the school grounds, the district superintendent said. Uh, Evil was overcome by preparation and unconditional love and selflessness, Superintendent Richard Fitzpatrick told reporters Wednesday afternoon. The lockdown procedure uh, was implemented flawlessly. Heroes abounded, including, by the way, a custodian who was helping other children get into their classrooms. And then he went out and drew the shooter's attention and gunfire as the lockdown was completed. By the way, the doors were locked down eight to ten seconds before the gunman raced into the quad. So the gunman could have been in if it had all been 8 to 10 minutes or 10 seconds slower. So those teachers, the the janitor, everybody there, the heroes of the day, lives were saved because of preparation and prayers and, and just good people. That's the show, folks, and that's what we are on this earth, a bunch of good people trying to do good. We'll be back tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation's up next.